I'm going to run across Canada and I'm going to do it to prove to brain injury survivors that this isn't the end. And my goal was one simple thing. It wasn't to cure brain injury. It wasn't to fix anything. It was to bring brain injury survivors together and create a network. And I just wanted to say you in St. John, Newfoundland have the same story as you in Gander, Newfoundland have the same story in Halifax, Nova Scotia, in Toronto, Ontario, in Quebec City, Quebec, in Victoria, British Columbia, you name it, there's a brain injury survivor in your community. That's what I wanted to bring together, the survivors, to build a network so that the next person, your daughter, can turn to Troy's Run Foundation or to a brain injury association or to any other organization and say, where can I go? And my goal to this day is still to have that individual, that network say, go to this person, start yeah. there. And if they don't work, go here. And if they don't work, go here, here, here. Hi everyone, and welcome to the Eat Real to Heal podcast. I am your host, Nicolette Richet. And before we dive into today's podcast episode with Troy Adams, the amazing human who suffered a severe brain injury and then decided to run across Canada to raise awareness about brain injuries and plant-based medicine and also food as medicine. So this man has a very warm place in my heart because he literally ticks all the boxes of everything that we're about at Eat Real to Heal, at Richer Health, at the Green Mustache, which is our collection of plant-based whole food restaurants that we have in British Columbia with 10 more locations coming to New York once this COVID pandemic is settled and hopefully behind us soon. So Troy really is a superstar and we're going to be diving into who he is and what he's done to raise awareness about plant-based food as medicine and uh, uh, about running as medicine as well. Another very important part about his journey and also about brain injuries in general. So before we dive in, let me just jump in and say that we are offering amazing things for you right now throughout the holiday season. If you are suffering from a chronic disease and you want to learn about how to use food as medicine to reverse, not prevent, not manage, but actually reverse your chronic degenerative illness, then you need to sign up for our course now. It's a five-week program where you'll learn all of the components that you need to have in place to be able to reverse your chronic disease so you can get started on that journey. And we're offering that for 50% off. So definitely head over to our website, get that course now because it's only offered until December 24th, I believe. And then after that, it goes up to its regular price. The other thing that has really helped a lot of people be able to understand that there is a direct relationship between the food you put in your body and your current chronic disease. That means heart disease, diabetes, autoimmune disorders, multiple sclerosis, which is an autoimmune disorders disorder just like diabetes. Um, infertility. A lot of people don't realize that there is a direct relationship between your level of nutrition in your body, in your cells, in your tissues, and how your reproductive system works. So I have worked with many, many, many 
a couple and a woman who has used food as medicine, nutrition, metabolic nutrition to activate the reproductive system to successfully be able to get pregnant even after they've tried in vitro, even after they've tried every drug possible, even after their doctors told them that they'll never be able to have babies. We have produced many a baby through our Eat Real to Heal program. And definitely, if you know of anybody who has cancer, it is so important, whether they're doing chemo, surgery, and radiation, or perhaps that's not even being offered to them, like many of my clients, well, you can use food as medicine to successfully reverse your cancer. Does it work for everybody? Absolutely not. But there is no therapy on the planet, whether it's chemo, surgery, or radiation that is guaranteed to reverse your cancer and take care of your cancer and eliminate it. But what you do need to know is that your diet is responsible for keeping your immune system active and thriving, for keeping your endocrine system, that's your hormone system, active and thriving in a healthy way. And you will not stand a chance at actually um, winning this battle against cancer or any other chronic disease if you're not considering your diet first. Because your cells absolutely need nutrients of every kind. We need over 100 plus different nutrients, amino acids, enzymes. Um, your amino acids convert into proteins, which then help build the building blocks of your body, which are going to give you the opportunity to battle cancer and other chronic diseases. And unless you have these nutrients in your body, your body will not be functioning well, and you will be like the other one in two people who get diagnosed with cancer, the one in four who are living with a chronic degenerative disease. And it does not have to be that way. We just did a wonderful podcast with Dr. Caldwell Eselston Jr. And he did a study over 12 years with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of different patients who all had heart disease. And 100% of those people reversed their heart disease, the ones that stuck to using plant-based whole food as medicine. Now, Dr. Max Gerson had a very similar study um, back in the day when he took 450 patients with tuberculosis <clears throat> who had been sent home to die by the doctors. The doctor said there was nothing more they can do. And that study as well, everybody that was put on the plant-based whole food, 100% unrefined food lifestyle was successfully able to reverse their tuberculosis and go on to live a healthy, thriving life. And that was unheard of at that time when tuberculosis was a death sentence. So it's important to understand we've had this information for well over a hundred years in the scientific medical community, but this information is not being taught in med school. It's not a conspiracy. It's not, you know, a, um, a one-off, you know, you know, um, doctors against the system. Um, it's not about that. What it is, it's that it's just blatant economics and politics. And if you understand the history of nutrition as it coincides with the history of medical school curriculum, you'll realize that there was a divide in the 40s and 50s and nutrition was isolated over here. Agriculture was isolated over here. Medical um, curriculum development was isolated over here. And we are all victim of the silo mentality where we separate all of these different schools of thoughts 
instead of actually allowing them to all work together and to communicate together. So our job at Richer Health in the Green Mustache and Eat Real to Heal and 22 million strong is to actually create the dialogue that everything is interconnected. It's actually to bring nutrition back into the medical school system where it was for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Hippocrates, the father of medicine and nutritional medicine. I mean, back in the day, everybody used to use food as medicine first. It was the do no harm philosophy. And if you can heal somebody without medication, that was the way to go. And so it's not a conspiracy when we say that, you know, the pharmaceutical industry is out to get us. No, it's not about that. It's just really about, we have all of these different industries that are advocating for themselves. The processed food meat industry, the processed food dairy industry, the processed food packaged food industry, the uh, you know different lobby groups that are out there. And they're all out there really trying to do what they know how to do, sell meat, sell dairy, sell pharmaceuticals, sell metabolic nutrition like I am. We're all in the same boat of that we believe in what we are selling and we're trying to make money so that we can all live. And some people will say that, oh, you know, the pharmaceutical industry is beholden to their shareholders. Yes, everybody is beholden to their shareholders. This is economics. And so it's up to you if you want to believe that it's all a conspiracy or if you just actually want to get to the truth. And that's what we're about as well, getting to the truth. And what we do know is that food is medicine, nutrients are medicine. And if you don't believe that, look at any packaged product on the shelf and you'll see it's all fortified with vitamins and minerals and nutrients. Why do does every government around the world, why are they trying to get people to eat more fruits and vegetables and whole grains. Well, it's because of nutrients. So at the end of the day, you can sit there wondering if, you know, apples are good for you because unfortunately I do have clients who will call me and say, well, is it safe to eat lots of fruits and vegetables? And I cannot believe this question. And it just shows us that we are so removed from the fact that we need nutrients in our body, that the soil underneath our feet, the land underneath our feet is what is responsible for growing that food so that we can get the nutrients. And so either you're going to start doing it now, or you're going to wish that you had done it later when you are plagued with these diseases. And unfortunately, that is the way it is for my clients. They often come to me and they're like, well, mm, I don't know, changing my diet, eating more fruits and vegetables. I don't know if that's going to work. I don't believe in that. My doctor never told me about that. Um, and in fact, a lot of doctors tell their patients that their diet has nothing to do with their disease. And that could not be further from the truth. But again, that's because the medical school curriculum does not teach medical doctors that food is medicine. And we have to change that dialogue. We need to change that story. We need to change the curriculum so that everyone is told that what you put, put, what you put into your body actually has a direct relationship to your health, to your mind, to your brain health, to your physical health, to your disease, um, to everything. It is the most important thing. And we do this three times a day, minimum. We eat three times a day. We drink multiple times a day. 
we consume snacks many of us multiple times a day. And if you can be making the choices that will actually liberate your body from your disease, then you are going to be liberated in life because you're going to be able to realize the energetic you, the pain-free you, the vibrant, healthy you. And when you realize that version of yourself, you are going to go out there and you are going to crush it. You are going to crush it in your career, crush it in your relationships, crush it in your you know, physical activities, crush it in life. And who wouldn't want that? So to start learning about food as medicine today and how you can reclaim your life and your health, definitely get a copy of my book. It's called Eat Real to Heal. You can find it on Amazon. It's a number one bestseller still. People have been able to take that book, read it, implement it, and successfully reverse their endometriosis, their heart disease, their diabetes. People write to us all the time and say, thank you for making this information so easy to understand. I can't believe I didn't know this information before. So when you buy a copy for yourself, why don't you buy another copy and gift it to that family member that we all know is suffering from a chronic disease, gift it to that friend that has been saying things like, I really need to change my diet, but I just don't know what to change it to. There's so many fad diets out there. We do not teach that. We just teach you the principles of nature, the fact that you are nature and the fact that you need to use food that comes from nature to fuel yourself so that you can actually liberate yourself from your disease. Now, the last thing I want to get into before we jump into this podcast with Troy is that Troy is running across, or he ran across Canada to raise awareness about brain injuries. And I am running across Canada and cycling across Canada next year to raise awareness that food is medicine, to work with Indigenous communities, physicians groups, and youth groups to open up this conversation to help us all remember that we can crush this chronic disease epidemic by returning to the principles of nature and that food is medicine, not the packaged processed food, not the high meat consumption and dairy consumption, but truly the plant-based whole food diet. We need to return to that and we can do it in this day and age. So that's what 22 Million Strong is all about. It's helping 22 million people reverse their chronic degenerative disease by 2030. And it kicks off with this run and cycle across Canada. So what you could do to support that tour is head over to our website and donate because it's going to take a lot of resources to get our crew across Canada and to do this well. We're going to be producing a documentary of this adventure as well, including the 35 community dinners we're going to be having with Indigenous elders, physicians, politicians, leaders, youth across Canada. So donate to this campaign. It's probably going to be one of the most important campaigns that you donate because it talks about diabetes, heart disease, infertility, and most importantly, mental health. We are in an epidemic of mental health disease that can be completely reversed if we literally start working together today. So donate to our campaign. We'll be forever grateful. Share the campaign with others and get your friends and family to donate because you do not, you do not need to lose another friend and family member to a reversible, preventable, manageable chronic 
disease. You do not need to let that happen. You can stop that from happening today. So get behind our 22 Million Strong campaign and let's work together to do this because it's literally going to take a village and the biggest global village that we've ever assembled to be able to do this. So last thing I want to say is that you are amazing. You have the power to change your health starting today. You do not need to be tricked and fooled anymore by the lobby groups, by the food industry groups that are telling you that turmeric infused honey nut Cheerios that are organic and plant-based are good for you. Because I'm here to tell you there's not a single package product on the shelf in any grocery store that is going to serve you. What you need now is real food, fresh food, and access to affordable, clean, real food directly in your community, not from gas stations, not from convenience stores, not from cheap ass grocery stores that should be, they should be banned from selling the foods that they're selling. You need access to clean, real food, and it needs to be available in your community. So our farmers are our heroes, ultimately, and that's what we're here to teach you at Eat Real to Heal. It's how to band together to create awareness, create knowledge, be able to create the systems that you need in your community. So before I jump into Troy's podcast, I just want to tell you that you have the power to change this. Just like Troy was able to turn his life around after, after suffering from a very traumatic brain injury when he was 16. So let's dive into that now. So Troy, like I said, was 16 when he got into a terrible accident, suffered a traumatic brain injury, which created just a whole um, waterfall effect that really took him down to deep, dark places. He was kicked out of school. He wasn't able to hold a job, despite the fact that he is a brilliant human being. And Troy eventually found running. Running became his medicine. And when he started running, it was the first time that the fog would lift from his brain and that he actually felt like the old Troy that he once knew. Unfortunately, all of the people in his life, his doctors, his family, his friends, it was really hard for them to understand that he was actually battling a brain injury because even today we still know very little about brain injuries and we don't realize that when somebody suffers a brain injury that they can experience so many different things, a personality shift, depression, anger, hysteria, um, it could go in, um, in so many different directions. In Troy's case, he developed an obsessive compulsive disorder amongst other things. But when he found running and a plant-based diet, that is what liberated him from his brain injury and the post-traumatic stress from everything he, he had experienced as a result of the brain injury. And this is when Troy got his life back. And of course, when he was able to do that, that's when he realized he needed to raise awareness about brain injuries for amongst all other people across Canada. And he decided to run across Canada. And that's exactly what he did. He ran hundreds of marathons, a marathon a day. He experienced everything that any endurance athlete will go through, which is the pain and the strife of running every single day, but he was able to do it. He fueled himself with a plant-based diet. We dive into that a little bit, but we're going to definitely have him back onto the show so we can dive into that more. And Troy did this so he can help others 
who are battling brain injuries learn different ways that they can liberate themselves from the pain and the struggle of having a brain injury. Troy now is a married, he has a family. That story is amazing as well. So let's give the floor over to Troy to talk about his journey and talk about how he was able to eat to overcome his brain injury, but also run to overcome his brain injury. Thanks for being here, everyone. You know what to do. Share this podcast with everybody because you know there's going to be nuggets in here that can help them to liberate themselves from their own chronic disease, from their own brain injury, liberate themselves from the life that they don't want to be living so that they can start living the life that they were born to live. Thanks, everyone. See you at the end of the show. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Eat Real to Heal podcast. I am your host, Nicolette Riche, and on today's show, I have a very special guest, Troy Adams. Troy, welcome to our show. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm quite excited for it. I'm excited too because I'm on my own journey that you were on about, that was eight years ago, back in 2012, that you ran across Canada. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, it seems. Uh like a stone throw away but yeah eight years ago it's something that uh, I check in on daily yeah incredible and um, I've been looking I'll just you know let the audience know that I was looking for individuals that had run across Canada and it's not easy to find because I think you know some people who do it don't ever let anybody else know but you were doing it for an incredible reason which was to raise awareness about um, mental health and brain injuries and that is the part that really got me the most because of the fact that you have your own personal story around that. So can we go back to um, when you were 16? And if you just want to share with your audience your story um, around your car accident. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I guess the gist of it, um, quite detailed, obviously, but uh, I was 16 years old, um, full of life and jazz you know, as any other teenager would be. It was the uh, late summer adventure with the friends, I guess, a car full of friends of mine, the closest friends anyone could have really. And uh, uh, I was on my way to work. Uh, I was a passenger and uh, it was raining quite heavily. We were 45 minutes from my work. We were in the city doing some, you know, hooligan shenanigans like kids do. Uh, And, uh, as I said, I was on the way to work. They were going to drop me off on the way. We were late. Uh, it was raining. We rolled the car uh, when it was, you know, just a miserable day. And uh, and that, that was it. I was ejected from the car. I, I kind of woke up in hospital. I don't have any recollection, really, <laughs> of, of the uh, incident. I woke up to uh, tubes and wires and beeping and, you know, a hospital bed. Um, and, uh, it was, it was something, something to behold, <laughs> to say the very least. And prior to that, you know, you had been a regular teenager just out there, you know, living your life and, um, this accident happened. And, you know, there was a video that I saw where you were explaining that when, you know, individuals do suffer brain trauma, they 
you know, I, I really appreciated the fact that you said, you know, even when the wounds are healed and the stitches, you know, are taken out and the physical body on the outside is healed, uh, often people forget about the fact that the individual still might be suffering from that internal injury within the brain, but it often gets overlooked. And what was that like for you? Like, did you know that you know, that, did you know that the brain injury was affecting your life? And did your family see that as well? And others see that? Or, or was that something you were like figuring out internally? Right. So I, how it worked for myself and for every person that I've spoken to regarding brain injury, who has suffered brain injury, their story is different. Um, so that's where my foundation starts. But to, regarding this question, uh, I think I spent now, this is a rough estimate, uh, probably the next five years trying to prove to people that I was perfectly normal. Um, I would say five years is a big number, so it was probably closer to three. But basically, I wanted to dive right back into who I was, where I was, when I was, the day of the car accident. So I didn't think anything was wrong with me. Um, now, it, it's a fully loaded piece because I was 16 years old. So I was a few weeks, they say, uh, being a child still, I was not quite an adult. So I was at sick kids hospital in London, Ontario, and I got the greatest medical care. As a result of that, being a child, I was given a team of doctors uh, that specialized in with children care. So instead of being thrown to the wolves as an adult, as if you and I today were in a car accident, it, uh, you're, you know what, call this number, do this, do that, right? So as a child, uh, they gave my parents, uh, when, they, when they let me get out, um, something was going on. I think it was the SARS when I was in the hospital. Mm -hmm. So it was just my mom or my dad. And I, my back was basically kaput. I couldn't move in the bed. I could only sleep on one side it was as though I was pregnant in my back. So I was always on my side. And I just remember wanting to get out of that hospital. And I remember them saying to my parent, one of them, because both couldn't be there, that just watch for this, just watch for this. And it was kind of more whispering or so that's how I felt. And I thought, what the heck are they talking about? You know, get me out of here. Well, you can get out of here when you can, you know, urinate on your own. And I think, what in the wall? I got tubes and hoses connected everywhere. I'm like, I can do that, you know? So then I'd get up to walk. Well, I can't walk. So back down, I would go. And I'm like, what? what's wrong with me? Because up here, I felt perfectly fine. Maybe probably foggy. But right after the car accident, the, the, uh, it takes quite a while um, to, to accept yourself and for also to, for um the this the uh word finding to find what what your inabilities are and what they are to become so once i got over those physical ailments and i proved i they gave me a walker i managed to i mean i looked my dad in the eyes and he's a farmer old farm boy uh like myself now but uh, i remember that in in I never talk about this part of it, but I remember looking at my dad and uh, with the walker and I was just like, come on, let's get it, you know? So, like, as you can hear, it chokes me up. Um, once 
we proved that I was physically able. They were like, okay, let's get this kid out of the hospital. And they turned to my parents and said, uh, you know what? Um, he needs to rest. He can't move at home. He can't walk, obviously. I was in a wheelchair, moved to a wheelchair, but I couldn't sit in a wheelchair because my back was too swollen. So they like rigged this thing up so my butt could sit on the very edge and <laughs> it was a mess. So the physical ailment caught everybody, right? So I think it was a week, two weeks, three weeks. Once the swelling went down in my back, naturally, the injury was still there, right? Up top, inside. I had no idea about it. I was told all these things. They gave my parents a card and said, call this number for the Brain Injury Association of London. I think that's all they really gave us at that time at the hospital level. But um, like I was saying, so on that level, were we prepared? Absolutely not. You can never be prepared, in my opinion. Uh, at the time, you couldn't be prepared. I should preface that. Um, so again, uh, I felt like everything was fine. Um, I remember two, they, they, the first doctor I met at a hospital said, you can't do anything for a year, nothing. You basically need to be on a, like, not to be, uh, I guess it's myself so I can say what I want, but <laughs> I felt like I was a dog on a leash. Mm. You can't do this. You can't do that. I remember a few weeks after there was a party about going back to school. Um, I have a network of friends from three different towns. We were from a small town. So as you can imagine, quite a large network. I remember I, I my goal was to get to this party and, and I had a, friend picked me up for this party and just completely overwhelmed showing up right oh hey man here have a beer you know and i'm like i can actually what what do you mean <laughs> you know as a 16 year old what do you mean i i i didn't know how to answer i i just can't i don't know they say i can't you know <laughs> who's they i i don't know these crazy doctors but i at that point it was so early that i didn't truly have an understanding so I was like I said, I wasn't able to drink. I wasn't able to, um, like I said, I wasn't able to do anything. I was allowed to go out on visits. You know what I'm saying? And that's because they so, didn't know. Yeah, yeah that's just, so they, tough for a 16 year old. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have a 16 year old daughter right now, and you know, I know for her that um, for any 16 year old to be in a position like that where they can't see their friends has got to be like one of the toughest things, even more painful than the injury itself. Um, because they're such social creatures and they need to be around their companions. And I know just from COVID as well, that separation from friends initially, like for the first month and a half, like they were down, you know, and, and depressed even like, I hate this life. I don't want this. And so I can't even imagine what that's like to be in your body with also the physical injury, then brain injury, which you don't yet quite understand and know about, and then being isolated from friends as well. How tough that is. Yeah, absolutely. Basically they, with, with, with saying that to make it around, to come back around simply, uh, Without being allowed to do anything, they said, Troy's probably going to be up at home for the next year, you know, learning on his own, la, 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 reteaching his brain how to do these things, uh, Mike and Carrie, you know, they're, they're talking to my parents, right, about everything with me present. And I'm thinking, what in the world? I'm, I'll show these guys. So against doctor's wishes, I guess, uh, I was so determined um, through my recovery to prove everyone wrong. So I went back to school right away. 
And they said, that's not a good idea. So on one month, I was back in school one month after the fact. I couldn't walk upstairs. I couldn't, and the school had stairs everywhere, but I, I was damn determined. So, you know, holding the railing, I'm like, I'm not going to show people that I'm injured. Like, come on. So you overcome the injury quicker that way, mm-hmm. right? That's the idea of when I say, I don't really feel pain. What is physical pain anymore? So once I was in school, they set the parameters. The doctors came into the school. I had a great occupational therapist who basically became a personal assistant to me but looked after everything in my life to the point that she helped so much that I felt that I didn't have issues uh, mentally mm-hmm. or physically so I was then able to leave class whenever I wanted so the idea of when did you start struggling well I couldn't sit in a class for more than 10 minutes right but to me it wasn't that I couldn't sit in class mentally it's just oh, I'm getting fidgety yeah. I need to walk my back. It must be my back. My legs hurt. My, my feet hurt. My, you know, you name it. Oh, I need to go ice my back, I would say. So I'd just go walk around the school, socialize. Um, I walk around. I mean, sit in the middle of the school on this bench and just lay there. And people just became accustomed to it for that school year. Uh, I think the problem started three months into that going to school and just spiraled at that point. Um, that was grade 10. And, uh, you know, I'm sure everyone thought, you know, well, power to you, you know, but I think by winter, everybody's thinking, well, why can't you? I remember friends saying, well, why can't you come out? Why can't you drink? This is ridiculous. You're fine. Look at you. Mm-hmm. I heard that every day, every day. And I think that's when it started slowly, very slowly coming on that I had something going on because uh, you feel depressed when people say things like that to you or, or the idea of depression starts creeping in you feel low on yourself. So you don't know that that's because of a brain injury or more just your friends saying, why can't you do that? You look fine. And I'm with them. I would say, I am fine. You're damn right. These doctors are crazy. Mm-hmm. So I didn't, in a way, help myself in the eyes of friends, right? And so some of my friends kind of started splitting right? The friendships. And by grade 12, by grade 12, uh, I remember, so that's two years down the road, but I I had such a small friend circle by that point, because by then I was a firecracker. Um, I couldn't sit for 15 minutes. Uh, I couldn't really hold conversation. I wasn't really listening to doctors. I was just going to my appointments, uh, psychiatrist, psychologist, uh, occupational therapists, um, vocational therapists—you name it. I was doing the things every kid was doing. So, but I so just can I jump in there? It. Can I jump sure. in there? Because yeah. so this is two years later, and you're still you're still in recovery, right, from the physical injuries. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, did anyone at this point say, like, did they, did they acknowledge that you had a brain injury? The, the everyone in my personal life, like my um, my team of doctors we're saying just watch this parents kind of like oh, oh shit hold mm-hmm. on part of my language uh yeah, that's good the, you know what i'm saying by that like they were like this is to be expected he's going through a patch law and 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 that wouldn't it's not something that as a teenager you're gonna say you know what you're right let me just take a step back i was bound and determined i i have the fire in me i always have and i would look at them and say, I'll show you. This has nothing to do with my brain injury. That guy just 
ticked me off. That's why I hit them. That teacher is just being rude. That's why I told them where to go, right? So within that two-year window post-injury, again, I can't tell you what happened in grade 11. I don't honestly have a memory. I don't have much memory of grade 10 or grade 12. I just remember pieces, whether it's my own brain protecting my past, blacking it out, I'm not sure. But what all I remember is, yeah, man, it still takes me down that dark path because it was me trying to show the world I was fine. And I never... They were trying to tell me what was going on and what could go on, but they also were saying it takes years to show the signs. And I would say, just give me the answer. What do I need to do? Well, you need to start here, take this pill. And I would take that pill. And then I'd have a side effect that no child should ever have a side effect to. So then they would give me this pill to offset the side effect. And I would say, okay, now I'm having this side effect. And it's crazy the amount of, you feel like a, I don't know, a medication. I have no idea. I, I, a lab rat I, almost. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and you start blaming, I was blaming doctors. I wasn't blaming myself. I wasn't staying at home against my doctor's wishes. I never had, um, I wasn't doing anything crazy. I wasn't drinking or doing drugs. It's just, I just couldn't do anything. And, and, Basically, looking back, should I have been at school? No, no, I shouldn't have been. But the, the, the plan wasn't in place. It wasn't there. The information wasn't available. My parents had no idea what brain injury was and, and what it could mean. We were just being told what it could be through a doctor's eyes. And if you've ever been to a doctor, everyone has, you know you have about 10 to 15 minutes with that individual. You know, that is where my therapists come in. They used to come to my house, to the farm. And at times, looking back, did I have a brain injury, a mental, uh, uh, a mental, uh, mental injury? Uh, thank you. Uh, very easy to see because at one point I would stand up. I remember kicking Carol out of my house, the sweetest woman in the world. And I just said, get out of my house. I never want to see you again. You know, like, get the F out of here. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, she'd be there the next day pulling in the laneway. And I'm thinking, what the heck is wrong with this person? You know, so <laughs> I don't know. There's nothing I could do to ever pay them back. But yeah, yeah that's kind of where it all started. And, you know, the part about the brain is so fascinating, but also because it's something that, you know, if we see somebody in a wheelchair, you know, people will go and hold open the door and they'll, you know, say, hey, can I grab that thing from across the counter that you can't reach? You know, people are willing to jump in and help. But the minute that it's internal, like, you know, any kind of, you know, a disease internal that you can't see or a mental um, injury or illness or condition that you can't see, it becomes so difficult for the public or a family member or friend to actually know what is the illness and what, or injury and what is the individual's personality. And we just witnessed this um, in a friend's marriage where the wife had been in a very terrible car accident, same thing, had really bad concussion, but because she healed, you know, she was able to communicate well, she was articulate, you know, but then of course, I mean, her entire personality changed, but it was interesting to hear how a lot of people said, well, she's just a bitch. And I'm like, Bingo. really? But, and because the accident happened so long ago, you know, but looking back, she was never that person. And 
you know, and people don't often say, you know, how are you feeling now? Like when they see that she's healed on the outside, they don't realize that she's still, you know, for sure paying the price from that injury. And, you know, when you don't know, like, am I feeling depressed? Like everybody feels depressed at any given moment of the day, week, month, year. It could be the weather, it could be this, but when you don't, like, when you're not communicating and people don't know, even within themselves, I imagine you cannot tell the difference between your personality and your brain injury. Uh, 100%. And so trying to balance that is the hardest thing. I could write a million books. I've been asked, you should write a book, you should do this. I can't sit still, guys. I don't know how to do that. Running across Canada, the reason I was able to do um, a blog post every single day is because I learned through running, which I, I stumbled upon, which I'm sure we'll get to, but the only way I was able to sit down and focus on doing a certain subject and a task, I had to run for four hours prior to be able to settle my brain down. And, and then I was able to focus, but uh, before running across Canada, <laughs> Uh, boy, I was willing to try just about anything and nothing works or worked at the time. And so, man, that was eh, like going through the recovery. I still believe it's an act of recovery for the rest of your life. Yeah. And those are things that they don't tell you. And they don't tell you that out of maliciousness. They don't tell you that because they don't want to tell you that. Simply Every single brain injury is different because everybody's brain is different. So the way you're going to react to an injury, it will affect you differently. But like you saying about your girlfriend there, I think the one thing that people fail to recognize once you heal, just remember the brain never heals. And when it does heal, they're scarring. And that scarring will lead to a lifetime of repercussion so the lifetime of repercussion you don't get a laundry list that says be wary of this and be wary of that because today it's one thing and tomorrow it's another the idea when 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 i was first approached about this i said you know my wife would be great i've always suggested people talk to my wife for the mere fact that i was told to never i would never be able to marry i was told if i marry you know odds are against you you know, you get told these things as a teenager, you just flip the bird, right? And then into my 20s, you know, you really shouldn't get married. And then you have doctors saying you need a prenuptial agreement. And it's like jeepers, creepers, no one. Like everyone sets you up for failure or or are they just protecting you, right? Yeah, and or, protecting, so, or protecting the family members, right? Exactly. You know. Yeah. And, and that's where it just becomes a spiral effect and then i like i said i feel bad for even sharing that kind of information in a way because it's personal but at the same time people don't know that no one knows that not a single person in my life outside of my wife knows that and i still remember when when i was going through those discussions with my wife and i'm very open with her and that almost you know put a kibosh to everything because you know what do you mean you know and and so just the introduction of saying and introducing someone else to brain injury that you want to share time with the rest of your life with they then have to be accepting and willing but how do you get someone to accept accept it if you don't even know what you're truly selling for yourself right so then when you look at it through that lens how as a human being am I supposed to react as someone with a mental illness that's so uncontrolled now it is under control at times 
through a lot of hard work. But yeah. if you take that and you think, well, how could someone be a friend with you? Doesn't it make more sense to just see you later, you know, not deal with it? So that's where the struggles, I guess, come in. So I've had friends come and go and, and I, you know, it's easy to say, oh, it's no big deal, whatever friends come and go. But every single friend that's come into my life that I've lost, I think about to this day, every single day, yeah. every single day. There's not a day that passes that I don't think about all of my friends that I used to have who have no part of my life anymore. And that's not a, uh, a sympathy thing. It's just, you know, anyone who would go through that, it, that would hurt so much. But to know that it happened strictly because I hit my head really hard and it changed who I was. And now I've come, you know, I've been able to come back around and be able to speak to someone like yourself and be a bit of an advocate for brain injury awareness and mental health initiatives. Now that I'm able to do that, a few people have poked their heads out and said, hey, you know, but most people are still like, that guy's such a jerk, you know, like you were saying, oh, I went to school with him. You don't want to get mixed up with him. Trust me. He was normal. Then he recovered and he was still a jerk. And it's like, no, just listen, you know, it, yeah. it's, it's not, it's, it's not good. <laughs> and it's hard. Like I, you know, I see it from both sides too, because of the fact that we don't have education you know, to give to people around, like, for example, how can you communicate with somebody with a brain injury, right? Or how can you ask questions to understand it better from that individual's perspective? Because like you said, every, every injury is going to be different. It's going to affect the individual differently. Um, it's going to be different at different times, you know, that if it takes three years, you know, for it to come in. And, but the one thing that I do know is that, for example, you can go into a doctor's office and unless you tell them that you had a really bad concussion three years ago or two years ago or a year ago, like if you don't mention that, it's so easy even for a medical team to assume it's something else, right? And, you know, Absolutely. potentially send you to a psychiatrist or, or prescribe antidepressants, which like you said, there's going to be side effects to all these medications, which are not going to get you better. And, you know, ultimately what we need are different tools for different people, but, but we need a system in place to help help that individual and help their family understand and discover what, what tools are going to work and what tools are not. And this is where like within mental illness, like there's still no resources available for families who have a child with mental illness. It is so hard to know where you go because there's so many different definitions of mental illness and also how it manifests in that individual. And so for brain injury, I still see that it, we are so far behind. You know, uh, uh, absolutely. Yeah. And with the, even the way we, you know, study concussions, my daughter had, you know, she's had two pretty terrible concussions because we live in a ski industry and I see how it affects her when she goes to school because the lights, you know, the fluorescent lights are flickering. And I mean, we need to do away with those entirely because they don't help anybody's brain chemistry. Good for you. Right. Yes. But, but it's hard to do. And it, and it is hard to watch as a mother of a child who's had a concussion to say, you know, is this her, is this just a hormonal teenager right now? Um, and it, it, and hormonal, I don't even like using that word. Is it just a teenager who needs something and her needs are not being met or is it the brain injury speaking right now? 
right? And, absolutely. And I don't know what to do. And I don't know what to say, especially when we're in a world where it's like it's so fast paced and I'm tired and she's exhausted from school and homework and stressors. So have you discovered since then, because that was a while ago, do you think the system has gotten better? Like, are there more tools and resources that are needed now? Or do you still think things are the same status quo? I think from a personal level that it has come, you know, we've advanced hundreds of years within 10 years. Uh, that said, we are still so far, so far behind. Um, as I said, there was no idea about brain injury when I had a, suffered my brain injury. It was, here's a pamphlet, right? But we have still so far to go. Um, the, again, the problem is, is that brain injury shows its force over years. They say at least, you know, up to 10 years before you really get a true, a true look at, uh, at individuals. Uh, and when you throw in concussions, the reality is it, that's a brain injury. But we've come up with this great term called a concussion. You know, my kid just... They got a little bonk on their head there. They'll get back in. They're going to wait out a week. And then the right to protocols, they're, they're going to, you know, my kid's good to go. No, they're not going to be good to go. And in fact, if my kid ever suffers a concussion and they're a sport, uh, in, in a sport, they would sit out the entire season. And I'm not judging anyone who goes other way because most people do choose to go the other way because their doctor says, yeah, I think they're okay. Well, is that doctor a neuro doctor? Uh, a brain yeah. doctor? Probably not. Because if you speak to the brain doctors who I've spoken to, and I like to say brain doctors, not out of disrespect, but because if I start using the terms neurosurgeons and, you know, neuroplastician and blah, 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 who I've come along with, it's so hard because all of them say, why is there, not to go on a beaten tangent, but why is there any physical contact in youth sports? Why would you ever put your child in a youth sport up into the age of 16, up into the age of 18? You're putting your child at risk for the rest of their life. One concussion, one, it takes one. You have no idea what your child will recover like, what the symptoms will be, whether it's a hormonal thing, because so many people will say that they're just being a teenager. When in fact, that teenager darn well knows I'm telling you it's not. Oh, come on. Yeah, we've all been there. You know, that side effect. And the teacher, for example, will say, you constantly get these headaches. I don't think it's the lighting. I mean, I went through that myself. I still to this day get it. I've had bosses tell me I've gotten arguments with bosses most recently up until two months ago. I had to go get a doctor's note because I just wanted to shove it back in their face because I try to hide it now. All those I don't bring the story of my brain injury with me, or I try not to bring it into my career mm -hmm. because that would open a lot of more, a lot more, you know, places I don't really want to go. But like for your daughter, uh, you know, I just feel for her knowing she's had concussions and where do you go from there? I don't, I don't know because the reality is if she's struggling now, think about how much she's going to struggle in 10 years. Maybe she doesn't struggle at all. Maybe mm -hmm. she doesn't. But what if she does? What if somebody misses a step? Those are the holes in, in, the, uh, in the system. In my opinion, that's where the holes exist. That's where my foundation came in and that's where my foundation comes in, my idea for a foundation. I'm, 
I have a million ideas that could probably start fixing and creating a solution to these issues, a network. It starts with networking, but where's the money coming from? That's where I came into. I, there's the resources for funding just isn't there. So you're asking people to do it on their goodwill. I devoted, you know, better part of, you know, five, six, seven years doing it strictly. You know, it's a volunteer based and I've never felt more fulfilled, mm-hmm. but the crusade needs some money. Like you can't do it for free financial yeah. backing and support. Yeah. And it's just not there. Like you said, it's not there. And because it's not there, the only people you can truly trust are the doctors. Well, the doctors have more than just concussion to worry about. They have cancer, they have HIV AIDS, yeah. they have hepatitis, you name it, right? I mean, the world's getting tougher. And then once you throw mental illness in there, well, hold on a minute. Is, is it mental illness due to a born mental illness or is it mental illness due to a brain injury? Two separate things because yeah. you can treat them differently, right? Exactly. So, and, and that's it. And same with medicating. Do you medicate someone or, and with medication? There's a whole other side because we're not even teaching people about medicating properly. We're giving them a pill, but we're not saying this is supposed to be a bridge. Mm-hmm. This is not supposed to be the answer. This is supposed to be a bridge to get you over to the other side. Then you should be coming off of that medication if we can get there, but that's the goal. But I found that that's not being discussed because just take this pill and out of my office, you know, see you in yeah. six weeks. <laughs> so, And it's, you know, we, I'm in Vancouver, well, Whistler, but just north of Vancouver, British Columbia, where we have, you know, one of the highest rates of homelessness and, you know, and people living on the streets and because it's not as cold as it is in Ontario, but it gets darn cold. And, and, you know, I know there's been studies done, you know, where they've interviewed individuals from the downtown east side to say, to see, you know, was it a you know genetic mental health condition that brought them there? Was it a lifestyle um, issue? And what they found is that a lot of people who are homeless have suffered a brain injury that was overlooked, you know. And they were just like yourself, a thriving individual, and they had this brain injury. The doctors send them home, and they're like, "Yeah, you're going to get better. You're going to heal," um, or you know, just you know, if you're feeling depressed, here's some medications. And then all of a sudden, you know, it spirals. You know, and when you have a brain injury coupled with you know raising a family, like you, you have two boys, you have a wife, something that the doctor said, like you know, you would never do, and you know, and then that, of course, even in the healthiest of individuals without a brain injury, that puts so much stress on the brain, on the body, on your heart, having a family, um, being in a relationship, but then add the brain injury part. And I, it's easy to see how things again can spiral from those places. But before we jump into Troy's run, because I just am so amazed by what you did, I just want to um, touch a little bit. How is it having a brain injury with family, with boys? And, you know, I know your wife's not here to speak about it, but maybe you can speak to how um, you were able to communicate that to her and, and how you two work together around this. So my story with my wife is... Uh, again, I, I've got to put it in a, a short context because it, it could go on mm-hmm. forever. But um, I, I dated my wife. It's a complete coincidence, but everything happens, you know, for a reason. You got to think here mm-hmm. because in grade nine, my accident happened in the summer going into grade 10. 
but in grade nine, I dated her. She was in grade 11, beautiful, you know, and somehow dated some little runt named Troy. <laughs> and uh, lo and behold, that relationship didn't work out. If you can believe in grade nine, my relationship didn't work out. This is pre-injury, of course. <laughs> So hard but, to uh, <laughs> Yeah, right. So she was actually one of the first people that came and saw me when I was laid up on a couch. We weren't in a relationship at the time because, again, it was the summertime and we had moved on in our lives. We were going different places, as you can imagine. But I still remember her coming and I don't remember the specifics. I just remember seeing her and thinking, what a beautiful soul. Like, I actually thought that at that age. I was like, what a what kind of person does that? Why would she come see me? You know, we've moved on in our lives. That was an eternity ago. But lo and behold, I'm running across Canada. Uh, I don't want to give it away too much, but running through the where the school is located that I went to, Forest. Uh, I'm coming up over the, the hill, coming into the town, and there's a fire hall on the right-hand side. And I see this beautiful girl in work scrubs and uh, what, what kind of the open and I'm thinking, I'm pretty sure that's Amy and her mom standing on the side of her road, you know, and I, I haven't been in contact with them in so, so long. I mean, years, years, years. And this is when I'm running across Canada. And lo and behold, as I'm running, I'm like, I, I remember they, the streets were lined, but I remember looking over and saying, how are you? As I'm running, like, how are you? Looking right in her eyes, right? And <laughs> That was, would have been three, four, five weeks later. I'm thinking, what the heck is that all about? I'm now in like Barrie, Ontario. Like I said, five weeks down the road and I get this little message uh, on, I don't know if it was Facebook or social media. I'm not quite sure, but hey, I just wanted to touch base. think it's cool what you're doing. You know what I mean? Wow. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so, so that was the introduction. Uh, she actually came and joined the run for a, a week, a week while I was in Jasper, Alberta, running mm. through Jasper. Uh, and that was, I guess, the introduction of, you know, what's going on here. You know what I mean? <laughs> this yeah. is Troy's run. This isn't really Troy Adams, but she got to see the mental side of it because of the OCD and the, you know, your trailer, everything is set up and everything has to stay the same in your day and everything is so on and so forth that was the introduction well she stuck through it there we went through a little bit of a rough patch through that dating period as you can imagine running across canada <laughs> um but when it became when i got home i just knew coming out of that she when i i remember being on the phone in victoria finishing my run coming into uh terry is it the, the terry fox monument there mile zero Yes. Yeah. I'm on the phone with her and I'm about five minutes out and I'm thinking, you know, and I actually said to her, you, know, you can't write the script. I said, you know, this is the one thing about this run. No one cares. No one cares. An old pessimistic Troy is just letting into her because she's on the phone eh? and I'm on my headset. You know, no one cares about this run. You know, if I just could do it again, I wouldn't do it. You know, no one cares didn't affect anyone. You know, I met cool people, but no one cared. I couldn't stop repeating it. Oh, an optimistic Amy, polar opposite is exactly who you need in your life. When you were someone like myself, you know, always yeah. trying to bring me back up. I thought, damn, she's cool, but I got to go because I'm about to finish. Okay. Yeah. Goodbye. See you later. Good luck. Way to go. Congratulations. I come up over 
a little bit of a crevice, you're coming into Stanley Park and I see these two women holding signs and I've got the, I used to have them posted on Troy's Run, but I got angry one day and deleted them. But anyway, <laughs> somewhere there's still pictures and I still have the signs. It was my sister who flew in to surprise me and Amy beside her. And I was, oh my God, talk about joy. Like that, that wow. joy right there will, will keep me for the rest of my life. That's what I remember, that joy, thinking my sister and my now, my now wife, you know, flew in and they didn't tell me and they're here and holy smoke. So that just, you know, so from there, moved home, moved in right with her. She owned a house and, and basically if ever there was a Coles notes version of brain injury 101, she was willing to take it on and, and sure as heck probably wasn't easy. Um, to this day, isn't easy. Uh, there's, there's a whole nother side of it that I think people would be so shocked by. Amy is not the type to go out and speak about it though, because everything's rosy and amazing because she is so optimistic, but I know behind closed doors, it's probably the hardest thing she's ever done. Um, I think she is on top of a mountain for a reason in terms of in my eyes and where I put her, she's an untouchable because of the things she does put up with, you know, um, to put it into perspective, she can spend a whole day cleaning a house. But if I come home and I see a speck of dust, I just, I don't see anything. I'm, I'm happy that she cleaned. I, but in my mind doesn't even pick up that it's clean. Oh no, there's a, so I'll just start cleaning. I'll start cleaning and scrubbing. And, and did she just let you clean and scrub? Right. Right. But not really because eventually you're human and you're like, yeah. I just spent a day doing that. Like what the, yeah. you doing and I'm like no I'm just doing my thing here I just uh, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> yeah. and then I start backpedaling <laughs> so and that's so her so it sounds like it's like the um you know I can see that same situation happening in you know families that don't have a brain in where there's no Absolutely. brain injury present right it happens but then yeah. this is just you know 10 times bigger of course yeah, yeah but then getting me pulled away right it's yeah. it's that's, that's my, you can, you can train me. I can go to therapy. I can do everything, but I just can't crack that sort of thing. I, you know, it's, it's still there. And do you laugh? Are you able to laugh about it with her or how does that work? Yeah, sometimes, but I think for her, you can only laugh so much. (laughs) It's like, it's here to stay. And it's a balancing act because like with my busy work schedule, uh, another thing the doctor said, you just can't do, you can't work full-time anymore. You can't do it. It's just something you cannot do. If you do it, you're going to have repercussions. Well, I now work full-time. I'm bound and determined to work full-time. And the problem is there's repercussions. So now it's balancing out the repercussions. But the problem with balancing repercussions is Amy's at home with the boys you know, and thank goodness she's able to do what she does because she has to manage two boys, four and five, who are uh, just in school now. And she has to balance that with a, a, a guy who has brain injury, is aware of the brain injury, but trying to plow through walls still to this day to prove everyone wrong. And uh, I don't try to do that so much anymore, but yeah. uh, she then has to balance that when I come home. And you know what I mean? So the pressures are there. 
Um, she's completely aware of brain injury and how much it affects me and how it would look from the outside being as though she's been from the outside, but she is of the person, she's the, the guiding light in the sense that when I start going on tidbits about, I don't understand how people can this or that, or why don't they take me for who I am? She's kind of the person who will just step up and say, Troy, who cares? You know, you are who you are. Who cares about what other people think at this point? You know, you have me, you have your boys. So in that perspective, it's like, thank goodness she's there because if not, I'd be in a mountain all by myself, literally on a mountain yeah. by myself, living yeah. a life on a mountain by myself. And then you start speaking about the homelessness in Vancouver. Well, guess where I'd be heading? There's no doubt about it in my mind because they are who I have. I have a great family of support behind me, but I would, I tend to not turn to support networks that much anymore because I, I want to show everyone I've got it under control. Mm -hmm. So I think she's my support and she's the one who, she's the glue. She really is. And uh, she does a heck of a good job because here I am today and I wouldn't truly be here without that support from my wife and now my kids. So that's pretty cool. You know what that's I mean? Amazing. So, yeah. It's a, just to plant a seed. It sounds like for Amy, she could probably write a book, not about living Absolutely. with someone with mental illness, but actually uh, just relationship management book, mm -hmm. because it sounds like everything that, you know, you were just talking about are things that individuals without brain injuries would also feel, experience, all of that. But it sounds like she has a way of communicating that would apply to everybody, right? Because it's a matter 100%. of, yeah, with or without it just, yeah, she sounds, sounds like an incredible person, you know, but of course I often say, you know, incredible people attract incredible people. So you've done the same, you've brought her into your world because of how amazing you are, um, you know, with the grace and the grit that you have, of course, you're going to attract somebody else who has so much grace and grit. Oh, thank and you. So. Thank you. I think that's the, one of the things uh, when it comes in terms of support, whenever I hear people ask me, what kind of support, if you had to throw a fix something, I would say the support needs to be people like my wife, for example, need an outlet. They're yeah. the ones who are forgotten about P folks like myself. I can always turn to those doctors who are there for me. I truly yeah. can. I probably would find that hard to do at this point because you know, it's been such a long, slow process, but when you see the rates at which divorce occurs, homelessness occurs in, in, in brain injury, people with brain injury, you start thinking about what, who, who's on the other side of that, right? Mm -hmm. What's the path of destruction that was led? Did it need to be that way? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where I try to turn when, when things are going south in, in my mind, yeah. right? I try to think right there, okay, what would Amy do? What would Amy say? And then I instantly go to her and uh, she manages a spa, right? She's starting up wow. a spa with two boys at home. And the reality is when you look at it through that lens, you think this person is able, this individual is able to carry on in her own life as chaotic as it is due to her husband. And even without her husband, it would still be chaotic in a big way, but she's also able to manage. So not to gloat about my wife, but that's where you realize, imagine speaking to someone like her, how does she do it? Well, you just be yourself, right? She doesn't push me. She doesn't demand answers. And so how do you, 
that's a big question you get with brain injury. How do you talk to someone with brain injury? Just ask. Just ask what you want to ask. Don't sugarcoat it. Don't disrespect it. But listen to the answers. Truly listen. Don't go in looking for an answer. You know? Uh, so. I think that's such an important thing too. I mean, with with most things, I think most people aren't unless you're you know trained as a journalist like yourself or you know somebody who has interviewing skills or compassion and empathy training um you know which a lot you know they're trying to teach this empathy um in corporations and schools everywhere but i think the one biggest thing i have a friend and she's brilliant at asking questions you know and listening and more people need to be trained in just how to ask good questions instead of, you know, not wanting to go there or trying to avoid it or trying to sugarcoat everything, make, you know, make it seem like it's all right. And I know that it's got to be hard for a lot of people to do because, you know, in your case, you're a good looking man, you're well-spoken, articulate, intelligent, you don't look like you're suffering from an injury but you know when that's communicated to someone then for them to have the ability just to ask questions because once you just discover the answers you are further able to empathize and also to be able to just ask people the basic question like what is it that you need what can i do for you how can i help um you know how do you want me to be in this situation and often people just don't ask that and it's so simple to ask those questions right absolutely yeah. I, the, the, one of the hardest things for me is as so the way I present myself, I try to show people that I'm no different than yourself. I'm no different. You know, that's my goal. I want to, because I want to inspire those with brain injury that it, it gets better, you know, yeah. and, and it's actually the work you put in that you're going to get out of it. But then you have people within your own community who know you from the past and they still come out swinging and you're only here because of this and that. And it's like cheapers if you only knew, but they don't know your backstory because yeah. How do you publicize that? You know what I'm saying? So they have their own variation of what occurred and what's really happening. And Hey, you're normal. So everything, I don't know. It's, it's so strange. It's so strange. And so the old empathetic side of it is, you know, that what I always fear is what about my kids? What about my wife? I always think now what I would do if I ever heard that they were ever, if, if me, my personal story was ever discussed to them in the way that I know some people feel it should be portrayed. And I always think, you know, I don't know what I would do. I don't know how I would not run away from it and just say, you're better off without me. Don't, I don't want that in your life, you know, kind of thing. So that's yeah. the idea that I've backed away from it, you know, cause I almost fear it in a way. Right. So, you yeah, know, I guess. I have to go on a tangent. So this is a good segue into um, the running. So let yeah. me know how you went from having this injury, the car accident, get you got through school, like you graduated. I'm assuming. Um, yeah, excuse me. To uh, make that very brief, to tie that together yeah. uh, with school, I was kicked out of school in grade 12. Okay. Uh, didn't hold together at all so that's where people started to form the opinion of me this new Troy uh, I was kicked out I, I remember punching the window the front window of the school because yeah it just I don't know I was wearing a hood and someone asked me to take the hood down one of the teachers I say someone it was the principal I think so yeah. but I had headphones on I took it down 
I told you, and I, as I'm taking my ear off, I told you to ball, get in my office. And I'm thinking, what? So instead of going in there and, and explaining what I, what I had my headphones on, I went in there like a bull in a china shop. You don't tell me, blah, blah. And he's, I've had enough of you, he said. You're out of here. I said, I'm gone anyway. <laughs> imagine being my mother at that point, right? <laughs> so, oh, imagine. So I, I actually graduated what they did. Um, my doctor's in, in coalition with, with the, the school board. I kind of graduated at offsite um, through the school. So I kind of was kicked out of the school because I was a disturbance, more or less. That's where my brain injury was at in grade 12. Right. And uh, yeah, so I did graduate. But how did I translate to running? Yeah. So I went post-school to show everyone I was, again, normal. I went and I graduated by the hair of my chinny chin chin, uh, yeah. journalism uh, in Belleville, Ontario. Um, with and my my health was deteriorating through that point. Um, I had just kind of started drinking like a college kid does again. I gained about 30 some odd 40 pounds, maybe, as some college kids do. Mm -hmm. uh, I did. And, and from there, I, I, uh, I didn't have any physicalness to me left at this point. Um, I was a mush. From there, I started traveling with work in journalism. Uh, the pay is the pay is extraordinary in journalism, as you'll know. I think I was making my first job twenty four thousand five hundred dollars salary a year, uh, managing as the news director. I remember my paychecks being every two weeks seven hundred and thirty dollars. And that was 2008. Uh, and I was out in Alberta doing it. So, so I, uh, I was starting to start a new life. So I was happy in that way. I got away from my old self. I, and no one knew about my brain injury out there. So to them, I was just this cool guy on the radio. I formed a great life out there. I went on to success. And, and I was a bull in a china shop still, my personality. I'm going to go and I'm going to get it and I'm going to show everyone. That's the brain injury coming out. I always want to go and achieve things, but the brain injury comes in where it's like, just don't get in my way or I'll go right through you. Um, I don't know. I didn't know at the time how to take steps. I just went. So I remember the news director at one of the largest Western Canadian radio stations, uh, not to give free publicity, but it's now course radio out in Edmonton. But, uh, called me directly. Hey, are you, if you're ever looking for a job, uh, you know, I got one lined up here. So I became a full-time after about four or five months in Northern Alberta, I, I went straight to the top. I was a news director full-time. Uh, my, the other full-time news directors at this station were ready for retirement. So I was one of five full-time on air employees at this specific station. Everyone else was on the sister stations within the building, but, um, so everything's going great there. Uh, a few months in, I wanted to keep going up somehow. I just wasn't, I wasn't able to cope with the fact that that's, you're doing really well for yourself. So I wanted more. Um, I lost that job, to put it lightly. And um, then I believe I kind of traveled around trying to find myself. I went out to Jasper for a bit, uh, talked in like a month or two, moved back finally moved home. That's where the running starts. Uh, my sister was going through a bit of a tough patch 
and I, I moved in with her to help her out with her kids. And, uh, you know, at least I told myself that when in reality, I probably was moving home for my mental state. You know what I mean? Right. Because I, st so the doctor said, we need to go through at that point. They said, you need to come here five days a week. I was an adult. Right. And I, they said, you need to go through, uh, what they call that brain injury rehabilitation. So at this, at this point, like, yeah. did you, you know, for example, when you lost that job, like, were yeah. you seeing the patterns that it was the brain injury coming out or were you? That, right. That's where it, that's where it occurred. That's, okay. that's the first light that came on for me. And were you ever thinking at that point, like, you know, was there ever that disassociation to think like, well, it's just me? Because how do you tell the difference between just you and the brain injury? Because, you know, as you tell your story, I know people who are super like go-getters, they will rise to the top. And then after that, they're asking what's next. And, you know, they don't have a brain injury. So some people just have that um, desire to push forward. But did you recognize Absolutely. that it was a brain injury? More than not at the time, not at the time I didn't. I, I turned to um, al alcohol quite a bit there through that rough patch after losing that job because that was a dream job. To this day, I would go back to that job mm. that I had. It was the top. I was, in, I was a news announcer on a major market radio station reading the news. Like it was, incredible. and you never That's, told anybody that you had a brain injury, though. Not a single person at that station knew that I had a brain injury. Right. Um, so they're just thinking that's Troy. Right. Yeah. Right. Oh man. He's got a lot of questions for a guy that we just gave this great opportunity for. I was simply asking questions, not maliciously like, Hey, what's it going to take to make me move up the ladder here? Well, he's getting really pushy. No, no. I was genuinely interested. I do that to this day now, but now I just know how you're supposed to ask those questions right. where before I was, no, no, no. I deserve these answers big difference. Right. So right, yeah. when I had moved home back to this, uh, back to Ontario, that's when my life really started crumbling. Um, I had just come out of a relationship, um, moving home from out West. Um, and I was drinking it, mixing it with prescription pills that I was on for my brain injury, not knowing I was mixing it. Of course, this is basically where my life started spiraling and that's when I took notice of it uh, as it was happening I think I overdosed three times um, wow. on alcohol and prescription drugs I think it was a second and third time if I remember it's quite foggy but that I don't have any recollection and all I remember is having to explain to a doctor why I didn't try to kill myself that's where, again, the light switches from losing my job were kind of there. And I was thinking, all right, I'll go to therapy again. Because when I moved out west, I run, ran away from it. You know, that's old mm -hmm. Troy. I'm moving forward. Well, now I'm back and want to fix myself. But as I'm trying to fix myself, this is now happening. So I think that's where you got old Troy meeting, new Troy meeting, doctors saying, let's get this in pull this together Troy because you're not going to be around long that's I guess how close I was to homelessness if it wasn't for family right yeah um because I was in the hospital overdosing and what feels like constantly and it wasn't intentional it was just a side effect of the medication I would black out then I would be a bottle leap and right 
that's where I have a fear of medication. So. Of course. Well, of course. And with when this was happening, did you reach out to the doctors and say, hey, I think something's happening? Or was it from yeah. you being in the hospital that they, were, they recognized that potentially I the think, brain injury was playing a role? I think it was a combination there. I think okay. right away, uh, I had, like I said, my occupational therapist is the one who played the largest role in my uh, rehabilitation to this day. I grant her my life. Like I truly, mm. she actually has kept me alive. Um, I don't have communication with her anymore, but uh, man, I, I guarantee you I could call her today and she would answer her phone and I believe she's retired now. So, but anyway, um, I, I, it was at that point that they kind of reached out and, and the way in which they reached out, they reached out as though I was 16 year old Troy. Mm. That's when I started piecing together this has been a long time, this recovery. And that's when I realized what, what if they're onto something? What if they weren't lying that it does take time? And I'm thinking to myself, holy smokes. So I went to my psychologist, uh, Dr. Hartridge, and I only had a small, I had a lot of doctors, but I, I really, truly, really trusted uh, Dr. Hartridge and Carol Salmon, Carol being my occupational therapist, Dr. Hartridge being my psychologist. Um, and I went to her and she said, Troy, you, you need a brain injury intervention. Like we need to get this under control or you're just not going to be around. You're now an adult. I was in my early twenties and, uh, I said, all right, straddle up. I'm not going to apply for another job because I had job offers after leaving that job. Right. And I said, okay, I'll sit on the sidelines. She said, I said, give me a timeline. She said, six weeks. I need six weeks. You need to come in five days a week, let's say two, one to two hours a day driving to London. These are the things no one knows about me that I'm telling you. Uh, so for six weeks as an adult, I had to commit to driving and having and telling my spilling my beans and we just talked and all she was doing was trying to decipher how my brain has was recovering and where it is now and how it's taking my life events and how it's turning uh how i'm responding and and and, and through that through that time off from work that she more or less told me you need to commit to this for it to work mm -hmm. so Dr. Hartridge, uh, the trust that I had in her in the free time that I had, I'd go back to my sisters and the kids would be in school and I would go pick them up and I'd drop them off. Right. In between I'd go for my two hours, but I would have three hours, let's say a day. I would, I thought to myself, I'm really fat right now <laughs> for myself. I was 230 pounds. And for, so for myself, I was big. Um, and I just one day it was coming up on the Terry Fox. Uh, so it was about September and I was thinking, I'm just going to go for a run myself. You know, how hard can it be? Kind of true to the word. I think I made it to the telephone pole, turned around and said, well, that was a good one. You know, <laughs> that's where it started. And, and then you get again, the obsessive compulsiveness. And the next day I'm going to go two poles and three telephone poles basically it's where it started and by the terry fox event um what well, was the mid mid september i think is what it is so it only took a few weeks the addiction of wanting to become better at running i want to be the best i mean i was wearing running tights shorts like the shorts that are so tight and the, you know playing the role and 
wow, you look like a runner, Troy. Yeah, okay. You know what I mean? But I can yeah. run one or two kilometers. Then I made it a point. I said, in four weeks or three weeks, I'm going to run all the way to my hometown, which is like 20 kilometers. Really? I said, yeah, just follow me in the car. That was the start. And, and all the while, I was going through this incredible transformation of spilling my life's contents to Dr. Hartridge and meeting with our, our Carol Sim and my occupational therapist on the side. And I think the two of them truly were just the turning point in my life. Because without me knowing at the time, I think that's what was happening. They were starting to put bandages and repair and bridges in my brain on how to put it back. And because I was able to express myself and get that all on the table, and because they were starting to give me answers that I were I was looking for, they weren't they were they weren't just giving me what I wanted to hear. Right? They were saying, this is happening because of this. And if you look in the past, you have this many years and I can show you why it happened and where it happened. And if you look, you didn't listen here and then it happened again, happened again, happened again. And that's when I was like, oh, okay, maybe they are onto something. And so when I would run, even if it was just for 10 minutes, it was the mental clarity instantly. And oh, are you sure that wasn't a runner's high? No, it was mental clarity. And I had never, never felt that since before my brain injury. Never. I, I, I physically felt like old Troy again for a few moments, for just a few moments as I'm running. I felt like old Troy as I was running. When I was done running, I got the, the, the physical high of yeehaw, I did it. The fogginess would come back in. Old Troy would set in. I was still a jerk. I was this and that. I would go to my therapy. It was all good. But every day I was starting to think, I just, I just can't wait to go running. And, and I can relate to that because I was the same way 12 weeks ago. I um, decided, well, a year ago, we decided that I would do this run across, um, well, it wasn't supposed to be across Canada, but then COVID hit. So I was supposed to actually just go down to California, which was 2,000 wow. kilometers. But then COVID hit, couldn't cross the border. I was like, uh, uh looks like I'm going to be running across Canada instead. Because you can't really choose a halfway point. That's no big deal. I have right, right on. And, but I'm so naive. I had no idea. So I worked with a personal trainer and I said, you know, you got to fix all my injuries and we've got to uh, get me in shape. And so we did that for nine months. But the first time I went for a run, like working on in a gym, even though it is, you know, moving your blood and pumping your heart it is not yeah. the same as moving your entire body with your feet from point a to point b and i couldn't run 100 meters i was like what how am i gonna run across canada i can't even run 100 meters but challenge accepted challenge accepted and but but it's true you get this unbelievable mental clarity that is like and i don't think I have a brain injury. I mean, even though I've had a concussion before, I don't feel like I have a brain injury, but it's a mental clarity like no other. And I would remember like after weeks of doing this, that even on the rest days, I was like, Ooh, I don't like rest days. I want to get out there, but you do need to rest your body. I mean, you don't, it seems like, which we're about to get into, but um, you know, you, you were able to go 180 days across Canada. Yeah. 187. 187. So when you were telling your doctors this about the running and what did they say? Like, were they, did they say, keep running then Troy, or this Go is your it. medicine? They did. <laughs> My, the doctors closest to me, Dr. Hartridge and Carol Salmon, 
uh, they were like, good for you. Go and wow. go and do what you need to do. The, the psychiatrist who I had to sprinkle in there, difference being psychiatrist gives you the pill or the medication psychologist you speak to that's mm -hmm. if anybody's wondering the differences it took me a while to know yeah. that i just came out and asked them but uh yeah they were like at this point they knew who i was and the it was basically i'm either gonna drink and find prescription pills mm -hmm. to cope or i can run yeah they go for it don't worry and oh what nobody gave me the oh you know i heard it from many in my family you know my grandma oh you just be careful you know uh, this and that I, whatever you know but I you love are you, know? <laughs> you are living proof that the studies because i've read the studies on antidepressants for yeah. like probably the last 15 years i was I, I think in a public health course in university um, there was the teacher had presented the this group of studies that basically showed that 20 minutes of running in a day for somebody who is depressed, clinically depressed, worked better than any prescription antidepressant that was out there. And I was like reading this being like, well, then why don't we just get everybody running? Like, this is crazy. Or walking even. I think that some of the studies showed that walking was the same for them. Walking outdoors 20 minutes would produce um, better effects than antidepressants ever could. So I couldn't understand why this was not being prescribed in our medical system. Like, like it's cheap, it's free, anybody can do it. And so, but you know, to talk to you and to hear you directly say this, I mean, to me, I'm like, you know, you're living proof of what the studies have shown. We need to get this out there. And with the running, I have to ask you, so you obviously got better because you ran a half marathon and and did you then get the runners high because can you talk a little bit about that because i know everybody thinks that well running produces it's just another drug that it's producing in the brain which technically everything you do produces chemicals which are technically drugs Absolutely in the brain does. yeah talk Absolutely a little does. bit about that and then when the idea for troy's run came in oh that it happened quick so <laughs> <laughs> Again, knowing me, I go for the throat, you know, I go right <laughs> for it, you know, and uh, talk about, you can, you can people, I, I have confidence, right? I've never failed in having confidence. I have a belief that if you believe it, you can go and get it, right? Um, there's plenty of sayings you can throw out there, but I've always, and that's pre-brain injury as well. But I mean, before six, age of 16, what do you seriously have to show for yourself? I mean, come on. But uh, when I was running, uh, I was setting up this Terry Fox run and I'd raised uh, maybe a hundred bucks or something like that for Terry Fox for my solo project. I went ahead and I planned it. I, I got in touch with the foundation, Terry Fox Foundation. Uh, you know, prior to running from Strathroy, Ontario to Wofford, Ontario on five weeks of training or four weeks of training i thought to myself um I, i'm gonna do this run strathroy to watford well comes here comes the day and i'm doing it and uh the most unprepared person in the world running strathroy to watford and, <laughs> and how far is on, that is that the half marathon distance? more or less it's about yeah. a half marathon yeah yeah okay. or thereabouts anyway yeah. um it was during that run I had this thought that came a million thoughts go through your mind because yeah. basically I say it's like a, a, a cloud that's spinning and those are your thoughts. And when I run, it slows down and you can handpick the thought and you can read it. 
and then you can make a decision and you put it back and then you pick the next one and you put it back. And the more that you answer, the more mental clarity you have all day, all my life for the rest of my life. I do have that spinning hamster wheel and that I can't control as long as I run or do something to give my brain a break. Me time. Oh, Zen time. Once I start doing that, I can give it a break. So when I was running from Strathroy to Watford, I started having thoughts about Terry Fox. Coincidentally, I was doing it for the Terry Fox foundation. And that's when I, the first time I really started having thoughts about Troy's run foundation in its infancy. Um, I thought to myself, in, in, to make a long story short, why did Terry Fox run across Canada? Well, because he had cancer and because he lost a leg. And I actually thought to myself, that was the first time I ever thought, I don't think that's why he ran across Canada. I really don't. Um, and then I started thinking deeper as I'm running. And I thought, I think Terry Fox ran across Canada. And I'm taking you through my thought process, not saying it's correct. But at the time, that's the first time I've got this deep into that kind of thought. I thought, I think he ran across Canada to give hope to cancer survivors. Mm-hmm. I think the cancer has already set in to Terry Fox. I think he already lost his leg running for cancer or because he lost a leg didn't quite make sense. And as I'm running, I'm thinking maybe he did it to inspire the next cancer um, survivor or person living with cancer to maybe this isn't the end. If I can do it, you can too, please keep going. I think he ran across Canada. If I could meet Terry Fox, I'm, I just have that belief that I truly believe he was on the same wavelength, just the idea length that I was in a way, not to sound nutty or anything, but I truly believe that maybe he was in that euphoric feeling of, I can change the way people view themselves in having cancer. And I think that meant just as much to him as the idea of curing cancer, right? Curing cancer is so a large goal. And it may be attainable one day, but for him to go out and say, I'm going to cure cancer. I don't know that that was his direct message. I wonder if it was more to the likes of, I need to show other cancer, those with cancer, that this isn't the end, you know, go and get it and inspire people. Now with saying that it was right when I was running that I started a new job in this six week rehabilitation Uh, back in a small town radio station. This is the end of my radio career, more or less. And I lost this job too. But to make a long story short, one of the interviews I got to do during this Terry Fox run uh, roundup was an interview with Fred Fox, the brother of Terry. Talk about life changing. I was on that phone interview and I cared nothing of the radio station at that point in my life. I was so locked in on running and trying to find what I just explained to you. And I'm asking him, you have to tell me, I have to get in this guy's head. I said, you know, everybody feels so great about Terry Fox. I said, but I, I, I have this feeling inside of me that there's a connection that may be being missed, not in a negative way being missed, but in a way of, I think he was onto something right? That everybody can use, not just people with injury. Like you said, everyone can benefit from just standard exercise. He wasn't winning marathons. He wasn't winning races. I was never going to win marathons. And I don't want to put myself in any category with Terry Fox. I'm just saying, 
I could start seeing parallels in the way in which we were training and, and still going and still wanting to do. And then I looked at other people's stories and they also lined up. And that's where, when I spoke to Fred, he, he, he reiterated what I was saying. He said, you're right. You're absolutely right. There were conversations that went something like this, that he was trying to inspire people just to not give up, Yeah. you know, to say, let me struggle. You don't have to just get out there and keep going. And so that's where my story really started with Terry Fox and with Troy's run. And I thought if Terry Fox can do it, this is on my run from Strathroy to Watford. I said, if Terry Fox can do it, why can't I, I'm going to run across Canada and I'm going to do it to prove to brain injury survivors that this isn't the end. And my goal was one simple thing. It wasn't to cure brain injury. It wasn't to fix anything. It was to bring brain injury survivors together and create a network. And I just wanted to say you in St. John, Newfoundland have the same story as you in Gander, Newfoundland have the same story in Halifax, Nova Scotia, in Toronto, Ontario, in Quebec City, Quebec, in Victoria, British Columbia, you name it, there's a brain injury survivor in your community. That's what I wanted to bring together, the survivors, to build a network so that the next person, your daughter, can turn to Troy's Run Foundation or to a brain injury association or to any other organization and say, where can I go? And my goal to this day is still to have that individual, that network say, go to this person, start yeah. there. And if they don't work, go here. And if they don't work, go here, here, here. That's or just it. start running even, like start, start moving, moving your body. Exactly. Yeah. Bingo. But it's, I do see so many similarities with the Terry Fox um, Foundation and Run, you know, and what you've done as well, because it is, we do have to bring awareness to um, the fact that whether you have cancer or whether you have a brain injury, um, we don't have the systems in place to often support people. And it's not about curing it. It's about how do you thrive, even if you have cancer. For right now, whether it's for four weeks, maybe you're you know living with it for four years, um, or however long. But the same thing with the brain injury in particular, because you're living with it for the rest of your life. And then for some people, the rest of their life might only be four months, especially if they're given prescription meds that interfere, and then they're overdosing because they're mixing with alcohol because they're trying to use that as an antidepressant um, or an uplifter or whatever, you know, or whether you have the brain injury because you've managed to incorporate other healthy way, ways of dealing with it. But it is, you know, these people do these runs to raise awareness for sure about the issue because we still are, even though we're in 2020, there is like very little awareness. There's so much work to be done and people are living there feeling alone. Like they're the only ones. And I hear that all the time with people, one in two people get diagnosed with cancer. And every time I work with a client, they're like, why me? And I'm like, it's not why you actually in your community, one in two people get diagnosed. And then when they hear that, they're like, what? It's right. not just That's me because right. doctors aren't telling them that. And just, you know, one thing I picked up from what you had said earlier that actually makes me so sad to hear this is how many doctors told you that how terrible it would be that you wouldn't get married, that you shouldn't have children, that you won't be able to have a job. Like all of these, like why lead with that? Right. I think they're just cutting to the chase and are they wrong? No, because me being married and me having kids, 
does it make it easier on me? Oh, of course you you're happy now. Absolutely. I am happy now. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But you're, you're bringing another person into this life and, and that's a, that's a big commitment and statistics show that the odds are stacked against you. So is it a bad thing they tell you that? I think the way in which they tell you, maybe they should give it to a therapist to tell you, you know, if you're going to go this route, try this instead of saying, you probably shouldn't do this. It's not going to (laughs) work. Or just like you said, you know, like no one says to an alcoholic, you know, you can't ever get married. Right. But you look at the statistics and relationships like that as well are probably very similar to somebody with brain injury. But the thing is what I love about there's AA for the alcoholics, but there's, um, Al-Anon, Al-Anon, yep. yeah, yep. which is there, which again, a lot of people don't realize there's this support for the family members of the alcoholic, right? And that's where we absolutely need to be building resilience is among the, the family members, you know, who are living with, because the alcoholic is not a bad person. We shouldn't write them oh, off. Sure. We need to learn how to live with people who have this disease we need to learn how to live and thrive actually not just to live and survive but live and thrive when people have a brain injury because especially now like we've got such wild humans in our society that are cliff jumping and paragliding and you know skiing and hucking these jumps and biking like the most you know wildest parts of the world and of course they're going to suffer from a brain injury Right. Yeah, absolutely. It's I mean, not just from car accidents. Exactly. You fall off a bicycle. Yeah. You're wearing a helmet. You bang your head. The reality is you have a brain injury. Exactly. The, 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 the helmet stops you from cracking your skull. Yeah. Like it quite literally saved your life by not allowing your head to break like an egg. Um, it doesn't stop you from getting a concussion though, you know, no. but the perception that most people have and I know this through my foundation is I was wearing a helmet. How do I have a concussion? Helmets don't do anything. No, no, no. no. Helmets are the protector of the skull, not, not necessarily the brain. Yeah. And I've read that people can yeah. suffer a brain injury, actually, like even not from a, from, it doesn't have to be a hard hit, like even going on a roller coaster ride. And there's just Absolutely. that little bit of a whiplash is mm-hmm. enough to actually create exactly the same um, symptoms in an individual who, for example, was thrown through the car and the car rolled several times. Uh, and, absolutely. And we're only just learning that now. And I do have to say, like, you know, for our audience members, if you are neuroscientists, and, and I do get that we only now just often have the technology and the wherewithal to question brain injuries and study them at the in the way that we're doing now. So I get it's still a relatively new field for us. But at the same time, we need to like, we really need to do that work to build resilience in the community so that we can learn to live with people with brain injuries because there are so many people with brain injuries walking around all around us. And um, even they may not even know that they're suffering from it. So this is, you know, it's definitely important in the work you're doing to raise awareness is just phenomenal. I want to dive into the run now. Sure. Because this is a part that I am you know, equally as amazed at just your story that you've told. So when you made the decision to run across Canada um, to raise awareness and to show people that there is hope and to inspire people, which I know you've done, um, how was that on you with 
you know, because you do suffer from OCD and you talked about having, you know, your, the big motor home had to be placed out in a certain way and you had routine. How was that for you every single day, like getting up and, and running? I, for me, I could put it in the fewest words of the entire uh, podcast. It was easy. It was so simple because there was one goal and it was to complete the goal. And for me, it was easy. I think for, now I say easy, but obviously it wasn't that. But I think the story, again, is the the people who are driving. I always had one driver and that individual had to come into my life, right? They were getting away. They were getting to see Canada uh, one week at a time, one increment at a time. But they also, because the way that I had mentally prepared for this, they had to follow me at five, six kilometers an hour behind me <laughs> and watch my butt and my feet and my, my flip outs and uh, my morning routine. And every single day for the first, I think it was month and a half, my parents will vouch for this one. They, this is the thing that stands up for them. I had the same song on every morning on the CD player. I don't know why it just, it got me in the, and it was like not a pump up or anything. It was, it was anyway. So how did I do it? I, I, before running across Canada, I didn't run a single marathon. Um, I'd never ran a marathon, never ran a marathon distance. Uh, I trained myself. Um, I had a, a, a many of friends who I met in the media, but none greater than in the running community. Uh, Ray Zahab out in Gatineau, Quebec. Yeah. He has the uh, I2P. So we became quite close and uh, I, a mentor, uh, formed a mentorship there with him and, and just his trust and whatnot. And uh, basically, I, through him, really, I, I realized, come on, you can run 100 miles and you can run 40 a day. Who cares, right? Um, so I didn't want to tie myself to Terry Fox in the sense of a marathon a day. So I, I said marathon for brain injury awareness, minimum 40K a day. The very first day I went out and ran, I ran uh, 51 kilometers, I believe, um, guided through a snowstorm in St. John's, Newfoundland um, by the uh, NRC. Newfoundland Royal Constabulatory. Um, I hope I said that correctly, but um, that was when I realized this is attainable. Now, don't get me wrong. I didn't run it fast. I didn't run it slow. I just ran it, you know, and it was a snowstorm and it was, I was running on a euphoric high, but I think it was by day six, my legs were so swollen. I couldn't, I lost, I lost the pedal movement. I couldn't lift my foot or lower my foot. It was just locked in an L. I quite lit, and I'm like, well, how am I going to run? So I walked 40, 40 kilometers that day, just walked like a pigeon, like, like a penguin kind of thing, right? Like I couldn't physically, the, the muscles were broken. I just was like, I don't know what I did. I broke them. They don't move. At the and end of that day. Dale got up and went the next day. Well, yeah, because I knew if I took a day off, it's over. Yeah. To me, right? Yeah. It's over. I can't, you can't take days off. I got to stick to it. I got to go and achieve my goals. Uh, I went to a massage therapist. Yeah, no, my life's over. My legs are broken, this and that. You know, I can't move these feet. Oh, wow. You know, lay down here and I'll see what I can do. I don't think it was 30 minutes. I was back up and running. Like it was, uh, my muscles had swollen and to the point that they couldn't move. I was so unprepared for this run across Canada. Um, And diet diet wise, like, were you, did you know anything about eating? For this kind of adventure? I knew that the, uh, it started as vegetarian when I had started running. I was like, I got to quit eating. It was right before I moved home from Alberta. 
I was like, I'm eating a lot of burgers and fries, so I'm going to go vegetarian. Um, so I was about a vegetarian for maybe two years prior to my run across Canada. And as I was running, um, I was vegan per se, like eating wise. I don't say like I grew up on a farm. So saying vegan is like, oh, you don't use leather. You don't yeah. more plant-based, right? right. Um, not to say I'm not an animal advocate. Don't get me wrong. I'm, but plant-based is a more proper term for myself and my family, actually. So but what I was finding is like in Newfoundland, in rural Newfoundland, in the middle of nowhere, where you're 200 kilometers from the nearest town, you have to eat what's there. So I was eating potato chips every single run because I needed caloric intake, five, 6,000 calories a day. Oh, how do you get that eating salads? Yeah. Right. So if I was in Toronto, that's doable on a plant-based diet or, or near a, um, a nice large town, or maybe if I maybe planned a little bit better, I would have brought that. So I didn't. So I turned to a lot of cheeses and a lot of fats in the diet. And uh, it wasn't making me feel good eating that, but it was giving me the caloric intake, right? right? So I was starting to, once I started allowing a little bit of cheese in certain towns, like where I couldn't access a lot of high fat foods, that's as yeah. far as I would go. I wasn't doing eggs. I wasn't doing meat. Um, I was allowing myself to eat cheese because it was the higher fat intake. Right. I think I got off that by Ontario though, like I said, because the accessibility of what was around me. So, um, but like I said, going from, from Newfoundland to Ontario is quite a, a long jump, but there was a lot of injuries there thrown in the mix. Um, but whatever, I came out on the other side. It was, it was challenging to say the least. But my goal with my run across Canada running wise wasn't to run coast to coast. It was to like in the fastest distance. Yeah. My goal across Canada was to bring people together. So I did a lot of this. I saw that because you actually ran 9,000 kilometers. Yes, I did. Yep. Yeah. Wow. And yeah. so, and did you run every day for the 187 days? I I think totally. Uh, my grandma passed away when I was in Quebec. That was a, mm. a tough gig. Very close to my grandma. She lived next door when we grew up on the farm. Um, mm. In PEI, I, I saw red dirt. She had red uh, stone on her driveway on a farm. So it stood out. Obviously, massive laneway, but she always had crushed red tile. If you know what I'm talking about, like yeah, that red totally. stuff. Okay, so, so it stood out, right? So I, in PEI, that's I was like well, the dirt is red here so I grabbed a bag I'm bringing this to my grandma woohoo yeah. put it in a Ziploc bag and I said I'm going to give this to her when I get to Ontario I think it was Quebec I got a call hey uh, your grandma passed away and I'm like damn oh. like are you kidding me you know what I mean yeah. come on I'm almost in Ontario I drove home for I believe it was uh, the visitation the funeral the very next yeah. day and I drove back so it would have been two days off right um and and then kick things back up in Ottawa and uh the next day off was I believe Thunder Bay when I had another major injury that basically derailed my run across Canada but um I guess Ray Zahab and my mentors kind of helped me out and picked it back up but if you're ready to get into that by all means Wow. So how, yeah, how does that work? Because you have a team now who's there supporting you every single day. And 
Um, did, did, and I want to ask, I want to go back to talking about the diet a little bit too, um, sure. and how that helped. But with the, um, with having the injuries, like did, did that derail you just more physically or mentally or, you know, a combination of both or more mentally because of the brain injury? Like, how did you navigate that? And how did your team navigate the whole relationship with you? Or do you know, did you see the flare ups? I don't want to call them flare ups, but we call them that when it comes to other chronic um, conditions. Um, talk sure. a little bit about that. Cause I'd love to understand that from the perspective of somebody with a brain injury too. So injury with myself to this day, leads to me running through an injury, trying to outrun an injury, which you probably shouldn't do that, but I do it. I can't stop doing it. It doesn't make it better. And it makes me more irritable, right? It, okay. Because then fear starts getting in the way. And once you have fear that will deteriorate you even more. And then yeah. you're running on fear and you're running on. So the injury is never going to get better. That's basically how I ran across Canada up until Ontario. Um, like I said, with those legs, I was walking through injury and then I'd run and then I'd walk if I had to walk and run if I had to run. But I was running every single day. I was also noticing that I was getting faster. So by the time I got to Quebec, I was running four-hour marathons, right? Wow. Every day I was able to complete it within four hours or four, minute, four hours, six minutes. I don't remember. I just remember... Again, this is where the OCD kicks in. Oh, if I got 406 today, I should be able to get four. So I would. And then I can't go over four hours. So I would, you know. And that's where you naturally become a little bit quicker just by challenging yourself. And again, it probably shouldn't happen that way, but it, it does. But what I also was doing was cleaning up the way I was eating. I was starting to ditch the dairy. But I wasn't necessarily cleaning up what I was eating in the sense of I wasn't just eating carrots and celery in terms of clean eating. So many people think, oh, you're eating like a rabbit. Yeah. It's not how I ran across Canada. I was eating junk food, but I was watching what I was eating. I was keeping a food journal, right? And my food journal came in so handy years down the road even for another subject. But the food journal started, I started seeing that the more dairy I was eating, it, it was flaring up injuries, mm. right? So I started kind of coming off of the dairy and my injuries were still there, but they weren't, um, they didn't feel so big. You know what I'm saying? The, the pain in your leg, it's more, it's more, you can almost put your finger on it where I what I was yeah. fought, it, right? Whereas when I was really eating nothing but junk to get those calories it felt like it was this big yeah do you know what i'm saying so oh, because of that that's that was my introductory introductory to a cleaner eating which doesn't mean i was eating healthy foods it just means that potato chips in place of doritos yeah right because a potato with salt is different than mulched up corn and whatnot kind of yeah, thing, right? But I was, on it. Yeah, absolutely. So I yeah. was starting to see that firsthand. So it was a learning process for me. And anytime I can learn something, I dive into it. So as I'm running, I'm thinking, and now I'm thinking about, oh, man, I want to be a doctor. And I want to, I'm going to prove this guy wrong. And it just spirals out of control at times. And um, But I don't even know where the question was going. But anyway, 
with soil. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I just, I, I love it all. I mean, I'm sure I can speak to you for like, you know, 10 hours straight about this. Sure. Um, and, you, and you probably do have like an encyclopedia worth of stories to share as oh, well. Sure. I sure. wanted to know about how was that for your team to, how was that for them supporting you? Because I know for myself, um, as I'm learning to figure out what I need so that I can ask the right people to join my team, you know, there's certain things that, you know, I just said to one person recently, I'm like, I know I'm going to have really terrible days where I'm going to say things that I probably regret. I'm probably like, and I won't even recognize it, but it'll be because I'll have an injury potentially, or because I'm going to be running through a snowstorm and I'm going to be in most cases, I'll be afraid, right? Like, can I get through this day? Am I going to be able to click? complete this run. We've told the media, we've told all of our, you know, clients and audiences that I'm doing this. And so there's a lot of fear around it, but will the people supporting me be able to support me? Are they going to be able to put their own, I don't know, egos aside, their own, whatever aside to say like, okay, we get Nikki's going through something and this is me without a brain injury. So how were they able to support you? Um, you know, as you were going through every day is a different day, right? I think for myself, I was so enthralled in what I was doing, going to schools um, on a weekly basis, speaking. I think the person, whoever it was at the time, it was one to two week stints, right? They would come in, cousins, friends, parents, and they'd kind of just rotate it. I let my mom manage who was gonna come. Hey, who's driving next week? Are you sure you have a driver? That sort of thing. Aside from that, it was nothing more than the person. I just tried to allow them to enjoy as much as they could. That said, I, I probably didn't allow them to enjoy anything because it was I was so wrapped up in, you just do you, but don't get in my way. And I have to do it this way. And I have to be in bed at this time. And I have to eat this. And I have to do this. So, but you do you, you know? So, nice. uh, <laughs> As you can imagine. So I don't know how it was. I, I'm sure that they could write their own stories did you on find, why never to do it. Did you find but, that because you were running and you were experiencing that high in the mental clarity, did you feel while throughout this whole experience actually that, you know, I'll say maybe, can I use the word balanced? Is that like sure. more balanced throughout the tour than maybe, yeah. you know, when you're busy working five days a week and. For sure. Yeah. I think. I think for like about the four hours post, um, I would jump in the RV, immediately go and do the, the, the vlogging, the video blog, and then a written blog. And as I was doing that, that individual could do whatever they wanted, probably, right? They had, um, whatever that may be. And then we'd go do something because I still wanted to live a normal life, you know, visit the sights and the sounds. So I know that now looking back, I had to get out of their way and let them do things. I probably didn't do that, but I, at the same time, I don't know that you can complete such a, a, a large a large undertaking and allow someone else to come in and do what they want. Mm -hmm. As selfish as that may sound. If you're gonna help somebody achieve what they need to achieve, and really that's for anything in life, it's not one of those things that you need to get out of their way, but if you're not willing to jump on board and support them 100% as hard as that may be, it will be very hard. It will be a lot of struggling, yeah. but if you're not willing to go through those hard times, don't, if you have any doubt, don't even involve yourself because you don't want to be the person who puts a stop to something. Yeah. 
right? What a terrible feeling that would be. So I think that's in the back of my mind. I'm sure that was there too. You know, I didn't try to get in their way. They didn't try to get in my way. I didn't try to say things that were obscure to them. There were times that I'm sure we were at each other's throats many a times at the driver who was driving, but it never, to me, it never got in my way mentally because guess what? Tomorrow morning I'm waking up regardless of what the outcome is to this discussion and I'm going to run. Right. You know what I mean? So, but mentally I was clear enough that I could probably have conversations. So I yeah. never did run into that too, too much. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think they, they knew enough to just, yeah, okay. That's Troy being Troy at this point, you know what I mean? Right. But they didn't, they never, it was just me and them. So if you opened up their diary, I'm sure it would say something completely different, but I didn't personally. Yeah. I was very, I'm very grateful for that. I never had that with the, with the people who, who joined me. They were very, adaptable in a very non-adaptive time um they were able to do just amazing things and i wouldn't have been possible without them exactly and what did your what did your psychologist um think about that you doing this tour do they have any and your doctors do they do they have any reservations or were they fully supportive (laughs) sure they did by that time i turned everyone off in terms of listening to the doubt and you know strap on buckle up, let's go. That's my yeah. theory. You know, just let's, let's go. You're going to see it or you're going to get out of my way. And that's, I've carried that through the rest of my life to where I am today. You know, mm-hmm. I know what I want and I know how to get it. And because of them, I'm able to do that. Right. Where before I wasn't listening to them thoroughly, I wasn't taking what they were teaching me mm-hmm. and I was still had this mentality, but I wasn't saying there is a process to go and get it for right. me personally right? There's a way that to not overwhelm myself, take a little bit, take a little bit more, take a little bit more. Don't go, you know, so I'm sure they were supportive. I didn't have much communication. I think I called them a few times, but they were like, you know, right on, you know, you've got a great support staff at this point. So because at that point I had no friends from what I had in the past, right? Right. I was kind of reshaping myself. So I did have a great network of friends, um, but it was small. It was and probably for good reason mm-hmm. right like they were supportive and uh, hey man good luck you know really supporting you and then it was growing as well every day I was getting thousands of hits and comments and so that support was really cool um, but I don't think going into it if I would have thought all these people are gonna like I didn't think like that not once I truly didn't think that way I thought I'm doing this for me I'm doing this for the brain injury survivors. I'm doing this for the voiceless, the people who feel like they don't have a voice. And every single day, it seemed as though I was meeting someone in those communities who said the same story as mine. It happened just like this. I lost everything and I'm still trying to piece it together. And then I stayed in contact with them every day, turning back, you know, and just touching base. And to this day, I still do, Um, you know, So do you feel, you know how you mentioned that when you were coming through, I think it was Vancouver and uh, I think Stanley Park and you're, you know, a few minutes away and you're talking to Amy on the phone. Victoria. Oh, Victoria. Okay. Victoria. Yeah. Terry Fox monument. Exactly. And you're, and you're chatting with, with Amy and saying, I, you know, I don't think it changed anything. It made a difference. Like, was that just a moment in time there? Cause I mean, I, this is 187 days in or do you like do you still feel that way how do you feel about the run now oh man it depends what day you ask me <laughs> I think the run did exactly what I set out for it to do 
I don't want to gloat. I don't think you ever achieve what you set out to do. I set out to change the world. Mm -hmm. um, do I think the world changed because of me? I'm not that naive, but I do know that I can now step into a room and I have the confidence to grab the attention of anything and anyone because of what I did. Because if anyone doubts me, I can say, you have no idea who I am or what I am and what I'm capable of doing. I believe that I can achieve absolutely anything. And I've never, never had that feeling in my life. I always thought I could, and I always believed I could, but I never truly had a reason to feel that way. So what I mean by that is I've been asked in the past to speak in front of um, a, a room of say 500, 600 people, right? Every top lawyer from Ontario, every top neurosurgeon, uh, um, occupational therapist, psychologist, brain injury people. I've spoken to nearly all of them, at least in Ontario. And my message was simple. My message was, you're not doing enough. Yeah. Not saying to them, you're not doing enough, you're not good at your job, but saying, keep challenging yourself. You're, ca you're more capable of doing, you're capable of doing more than you believe you're doing. You, you're doing so much from what you learned in your textbook right? But just realize that for every case, for every individual, there is a special story that you can take in. And it's a lot, but you signed up for it. And quite frankly, you're shaping as the front line, as the frontline workers, they are quite literally shaping the rest of that person's life yeah. by saying things in which the manner they say it. So if they're having a bad day, don't come to work. That's kind of my message. My message was because when you come to work on that bad day and you suggest, oh, the last guy told me to go after myself too, you know, different. That last guy has no effect on my life. I'm a new person. Yeah. And it's that sort of messaging, right? It's that sort of messaging that I like to try. I really try. I'm not very great at it, but I do try to get that across. You know, I've spoke to insurance companies and uh, I have family members in the insurance, so the high-level executives in insurance, and I've spoken in front of their committees, and I've said, you guys are the, truly the root of the problem because you have a claim come in where this person's injured, and you are setting out to say, no, you're fine, prove me otherwise. What a corrupt world that is. Yes. Excuse me, but <laughs> so, so right away, you feel like the world's out to get you, and now you have an organization saying, sorry, sorry, we think you might be faking. Pardon? Yeah. Like what? Oh, faking what? You know, if, if you cut my leg off, you would give me a check for this much money because right here it says leg cut off, you are owed this much. Well, if you hit your head so hard that you rattle your brain that they say it's going to take the rest of your life to determine the outcome, they say, yeah, that's not good enough. We're going to have to see proof. So what does that mean? It means litigation, 12 yeah. years of litigation. And it's something I wouldn't wish on anyone. Yeah, because uh, it just causes more stress to you, right? Which then further contributes to the problem. It literally ruins lives. And that's exactly yeah. it. So it's, it takes it upon yourself as an individual to get past that. And that's the hardest part of my life. Some people may say, at times you seem like you're not over it. It's impossible to be over it. It literally yeah. ruins lives. 
it ruins lives. It takes it and it crumbles it and knocks you down. And right when you think you're at the top of the mountain and you've overcome it, somebody will come and take you out at the legs and they'll bring something up. And it's like, oh my God, you have no idea because I'm not allowed to speak about it or because you wouldn't understand because I don't have hours and hours to talk to you about it. And that's kind of where you lose people. And that's where they exit stage right and say, see you later. So it's, it's kind of seems like doom and gloom, but it's not, you can make it a positive. And that's what I decided on my run across Canada. Let's try to turn this into a positive. And one thing that, you know, just earlier I'd mentioned, you know, my friend who had the concussion and afterwards everybody, you know, thinks she's a bitch, but um, looking back before that though, I wonder what role the personality takes for someone who then later gets a brain injury, because it sounds like you were pretty positive and optimistic prior to the accident and how that lends itself after the accident versus somebody who's pessimistic, negative, very fear-based before the accident and then they get a brain injury and does that just exacerbate um, you know, their existing perso- personality even more um, and those traits just come out even, even more pronounced afterwards. And uh, I don't know, do you have any thoughts on that? I believe uh, for myself, I can only speak for myself, exactly. but you lose the filter. Um, I was told that you've lost your filter. You need mm. to realize that you have lost your filter. So just be aware of that. And that's what cost me my jobs. That's what cost me my education. That's what cost me because I wasn't aware of that. I didn't know truly what that meant. So now I know how to say sorry. Mm. Heartfelt. But the hardest thing is, is you can only say sorry so many times before someone says, okay, I've had enough. I don't want to hear it anymore. You know, those closest to you can only hear it so many times. They say, all right, man, you're constantly always sorry. But if it does still get away from you, it always will get away from you. And for exactly, I went, I'm, I'm quite a pessimistic person. I'm very optimistic. I am so optimistic. I want to be optimistic. That is me. I'm like, come on, the world's such a great place. And then I get in a conversation and someone's like, cheapers, that guy's negative. And that's kind of like, yeah, but I've had a lot of stuff happen in yeah. my life. You know, yeah. I'm more of a realist than a pessimist. Right. I think that's more of the reality. Right. Um, Just to close up here, because we've been together for nearly two hours. And like I said, I could probably talk to you for another eight for sure. I'm having a blast. Sorry. Yeah. No, this is awesome. Um, I want to go back to the part about the, um, you know, with people saying that, you know, you should write a book because when you started talking about going in and chatting with insurance agencies and neuroscientists and different, you know, professional groups as well, you know, I thought that with you doing the run, as we started the conversation, I was just thinking about all the people with brain injuries that would be so inspired. But of course, um, anybody in any profession, anywhere, profession or non-profession, you know, working, non-working, it doesn't matter who you are, but for all individuals, um, you set such a great example for number one, set a big, hairy, audacious goal, you know, find out what your purpose is, what lights you up, right? And feel the fear and just get out there and do it every day, you know, anyway, every day, you know, just go out there and see what you discover. Um, You know, there's so many lessons. And as well as, you know, when you think you're doing it well, you can always be doing it better, right? Especially for neuroscientists out there, it's to, you know, to look at what you're currently doing now. And I loved what you said about, you know, sure, it's great what you learned in the textbook, but go beyond that. And I think that's such a huge message. But so I just want to go back to you writing the book 
um, and what you had said. So I wrote a book and I had never thought I would write a book. I'd always kind of wanted to, but I didn't, didn't know what area it was, but I actually didn't write the book. I actually spoke the book and you're that. just so articulate. And, um, and I'd gone through, you know, you have dozens and dozens and dozens of videos and they're each touching on like a different point, which are so brilliant. But all I did was take it and thank goodness for technology is I took an 18 hour course that I had taught over and over again to people and we just put it through a transcription software and it, it literally spit it out as like 125,000 words and I was like oh Google how many words do you need for a book and it said something like 125,000 words and I was like wow and of course you have to go in and edit it but I you know I wasn't going to sit there and do that because I actually can't sit for long and, and do that sure. kind of work either and so I hired you know somebody to just go through it and said could you go correct it and they did and then sure enough it was it was a book so if you ever decide to do that I'd love to help you out on that end we have a great publisher as well and you know I took this spoken word um and and handed it off to them and and that's how it became a book so you know if there's anybody out there who you know feels that there's limitations to them getting their story out there because stories are so powerful there's just more than one way to write a book so i thought i'd just oh, share I that with that. you thank you so much i'll definitely keep that in mind yeah so what tips i you know i always like to wrap up with you know what is something that you want to leave our audience feeling knowing or doing in relationship to who you, Troy Adams, wish for the world? Um, I want people to keep going. I want people to, like I've said, um, I, not to come off arrogant, but I want people to understand that you have the power, you have the ability. I don't care what the goal is. It's attainable. It's attainable at whatever age, at whatever physique, at whatever mental status or state, race, religion, go and get it. Go and change the world. Every single person has a story to tell. And if it doesn't work the first time, take the other path because there's so many paths. But it wasn't until I started running that I realized that my story may help one person. And if it can help one person, it may save the life of that one person. And if you can reach that goal, what else is there to life? Mm -hmm. And just realize your story matters. And everybody falls in that category. Your story matters. It doesn't matter if you think it doesn't. The reality is someone out there is always looking to speak or be listened to. And what if... What if I could give you, as a brain injury survivor, the, the place to share that story and that sentiment? Well, put yourself in those shoes. Wouldn't you want to be a part of it? That's where I come in. And that's where I am. And that's where I hope other people are. Just in the idea that you, you can come from nothing and make something out of it. It doesn't have to be a negative. I made it a negative for over 10 years of my life. I'll never get that. I won't get that time back. It's 16 years ago. And, and I've been, I've only lived a good life of those 16 years for the last five, six, seven years, really since I got married. What was I doing with my life? I was trying to recover, you know, but man, don't waste time. Go and get it. That's all I can say and suggest. And if you need any help, any inspiration, any discussion, 
come my way. I'll, I'll chat with you. I'm not saying I'm inspiring. I'm saying I'm willing to listen and I'm willing to find the positive in you and I can lift you up because sometimes you just need a little kick in the can, you know, you just need a little kick in the backside and go and get it tiger, you know, and you're going to change the world. I believe every single person out there can change the world for a better place. And I think if we start teaching that from the get go, that you are special and you have the ability, imagine the world we're going to live in. If people start believing that instead of just saying that. That was, yeah, it, that was beautiful for all people who are listening, whether you have a brain injury or not. I mean, what you said applies to them, whether you are 60 year old, you know, 20 years old or whether you're one year old. I mean, what you said applies to every human being on the planet. We all have that gift to, you know, pour into the world. And, and I agree with you. I think that every single person does need someone behind them, giving them a kick in the ass. So it's good to know that you're out there. Um, do you have plans for getting Troy's, uh, Troy's run back up and running? Like I know you're still president of the foundation. Yeah. yeah one day. Yeah. So we are in the process actually in the moment it's, um, uh, where it's it's a paper trail thing i to make a long story short it's all like kind of legal tender at this point but uh, we're a registered charity uh when i came into the trade uh in this new career i realized i have to be for the foundation or i have to be for my work i can't do both at the current time because it was going to take a lot out of me to successfully get this career going uh in installation so i i went to the uh, cra I did it properly. I, I said, I'm going to put this on hold. And now basically I'm ready to get back into it. So now it's just a paper. I just got to file certain papers to get it back up and going. The website's back up, troysrun.ca okay. at the current time. It is .com, but our website, if you can believe it, has been stolen. And it's under, yeah, I'm not kidding. And, oh, and so no. we've got a lot of, we had a, an amazing team coming. <laughs> I don't know. Give I don't it back. Whoever <laughs> stole it, give it back. <laughs> they've been they've been approached by the company and now the page has now been taken down. But they were using the face of Troy's Run. You could click the donate and it would go to a donate page. And I found out through my web developer and they said, I didn't think you had it. I said, We don't. We, you can't do that. They said, Holy smoke, someone's funneling money through your web through the website channels. It looks like they're donating to Troy's Run, but your Troy's Run's not, it's not there. Oh my right? gosh. I know there's so, so much hacking in this world going on. That, uh, yeah. And that's yeah. my introduction to hacking. And that just came to light within the last six months. So it's uh -huh. now been settled. We're now moving forward. At the current time, our current website is .ca, troysrun.ca. Okay. It will be going back to .com when we can secure the rights as we are owed. It's right. just one of those, I don't understand the worldwide web and yeah. our computer people are on it. They're like, this is, we haven't never seen this, but they think because we are affiliated with CRA, it yeah. might've been, you know what I mean? Somebody somewhere up in the interweb. I don't know. Well, I love knowing that you are like a bull in the China <laughs> shop and that you're just going to give, go right through it and you're going like, to yeah. get it back. We'll get it and back oh yeah, I know. There's no doubt in my mind that you will. Because sure. that we're here, we're here for amazing. good. That's and we'll amazing. connect with you and, and share your story. And that's what we're all about because it's not just for brain injury awareness. Yeah. The idea is for brain injury awareness. But honestly, if you have a story to share, jump online, send it my way. You can send me a personal email, Troy Adams, the number 23 at gmail.com. I'll send you my private uh, cell phone number off air. 
I have no problem with sending that kind of information out because I want to make sure we truly have a network of connection, you know, and I believe people won't take advantage of it. I, I don't. Um, I just, and if they do, so what, you know what I'm saying? Like just create that network. It, it's a big thing. It's a beautiful thing. The world's a beautiful place. Get out there and run and change your life for the better. That is amazing. Well, I hope that you'll join me on a run as I'm passing through your hometown or I'll close enough to sure. it. Yeah, that would be, Absolutely. I would, that would be such an honor to have you beside me. And I run very slow, but I hope you won't. I love it. That is amazing. One thing that I feel that I shouldn't end the show yet until I, it just came to me for family members living with someone with a brain injury, what are the resources? What, what are the steps that they should take um, to support themselves? Do you know of any good resources out there for them at this current time? Not to go dark, but I don't, I don't know many. The brain injury associations in your local riding may have some resources what i found when i ran i met with the brain injury associations and they're not actually tied together they're under their own umbrella mm -hmm. and then the provincials don't oversee them and the canadian doesn't technically oversee the provincials it's very chaotic that's where troy's run foundation was coming in trying to partner with every single organization so what I would say, if you have any questions, reach out to me personally and let me do the groundwork because of my name and my recognition and the ability to kind of uh, put president of Troy's Run Foundation. I can oftentimes get some quicker answers. And so if you need those kind of answers and you're, you reach out, try it yourself. But if you're coming up with a lack of answers, don't be afraid to reach out to someone like myself. Troy Adams, you can find me online um, and I'll help you out because the resources are there, but they're right. oftentimes under a stack of books or, right? Um, yeah. So whether or not that's putting you in touch with my mother, who is the mother of a son with a brain injury, I would put you in contact with her as I've done with many people in the past, just to see if that's an alleyway or a leeway. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Or another person who I know, uh, put you in touch with, say, my wife. There's many a resources. Um, so it's just finding the ones that's going to fit your specific needs. Yeah. And I love that you said that, that to reach out, because I think that's the first thing you need to do, whether it's just Absolutely. even, we have, the, we have the technology, we have Facebook, we have Instagram. And just to Again, we led with this in the beginning, ask questions. So just, you know, go out there and does anyone out there live, is anyone out there living with somebody with a brain injury? I would really love support, you know, any resources right. you could share. There's lots of chat groups online. So it might be, not be an, an actual um, organized organization or association, but you as an individual can create a little network for yourself within your community first. And then of course, reach out to Troy, and yeah, what you do and just how you offer yourself a service to the world is so brilliant. And I thank you so much for doing what you do, for inspiring me on my own run, um, but also for inspiring all the individuals out there to just um, push the, themselves for, further to be um, even more incredible human beings in this world. So thank you, Troy, for, for everything you do. Yeah. And hey, now it's your turn. So uh go get it and uh, conquer it. And I'm, I'm going to be along for the ride. How, yeah, like, it's your turn. Amazing. Go and get it. Yeah, it's our turn. Yeah, I always say that we stand on the shoulders of the giants before us. And Troy, you are definitely one of those giants. So yeah, thanks for that. Thanks. For thanks. That. that means a lot. I really appreciate it. I really do. Thank you.
So thanks everyone for being here on our show. Stay tuned for next week's episode. We love sharing with you inspiring stories of healing and of changing the world, just as Troy has done today. Uh, we'll see you soon. Wasn't that an incredible podcast? I have rarely met, and I have met a lot of amazing individuals, but there is something about Troy's story that really touches my heart. And it's because of the fact that he really is an everyday guy, an everyday guy that was born with all of these beautiful talents that needed to be unleashed into the world and the brain injury stopped him. But then this guy, he was able to keep moving forward. He refused to take no as an answer. And that is such a powerful story. When someone says, I'm not going to live by somebody else's diagnosis and prognosis, you are not going to tell me how I am supposed to be. I am actually going to show you who I am and who I am supposed to be. And that is what Troy did. And his story is powerful because it shows that anyone has the power to do that. But you have to uncuff yourself from those handcuffs, those chains that are holding you back. Often a lot of physicians, a lot of professionals, society, politicians will tell you how it's supposed to be. Um, scientists will tell you how it's supposed to be based on the science. But what Troy has done is he has defied everything. And he has actually decided to stand on the side of life, society, history, and science that shows us that we can actually thrive when we have a brain injury, that we can actually use food as medicine to support ourselves when we have a brain injury. He has shown us that we can move forward further, faster, better than what anybody else said is possible for us. And that's by not accepting no. It's not accepting the status quo. And you are all capable of that as well. So I hope you take in Troy's story. And if you are resting, sitting, or being even smothered by somebody else's prognosis and diagnosis of you and your condition. You can actually rise up and stand up against that and you can start to use your body as a living laboratory. Maybe it won't be running for you, but maybe it'll be swimming or dancing or singing or cycling or some other kind of movement. Maybe it won't be a movement that's physical in your own body per se, but maybe you will start a movement and start raising awareness about your condition and you'll get out there Maybe it'll be theater or going back to school or liberating yourself from an unhealthy relationship. I don't know. There's so many different things that are out there that can free yourself from whatever it is you are trapped under today. But you have to stop making excuses. That is what Troy's story has shown us, that we can't just sit back and use the excuse of our injury or our disease to stop, a, stop us from living a full life. And so if you are somebody who wants to be liberated from that, definitely reach out to Troy. He's given you all of the resources to reach out to him and definitely reach out to us at Eat Real to Heal and Richer Health so we can get you started on your journey, your journey to a healthier life, a better life, um, a life that you are born 
to live. So thanks everyone for being here today. Share this story with others and we will see you next week on the next episode of Eat Real to Heal. Bye for now.